Nystrom, Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Welcome to episode 60, actual episode 77, and tonight, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, my guest is former Capital District Islander, played a little bit with the Springfield Indians, but mostly known for his time with the CD Isles up in Troy, New York. Mr. Wayne Doucette. We'll touch on Wayne in a little bit. But first, if you are new to the show, welcome. Happy to have you. I hope you enjoy what you hear. And I hope that you'll consider coming back in the weeks to follow. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Thank you very much for coming back. And I hope you enjoy this episode and everything going forward. If you could do me a favor, please subscribe to the program. If you subscribe to the show, you will never, ever have to go looking for it. When you subscribe to the show or follow the show, whatever it is, on whichever platform. I, I listen to my stuff on uh, Apple or iTunes. Is that the same thing? I don't even know anymore. But I follow it so that when new episodes are available for the shows that I listen to, they just show up right in my feed. It makes things a lot easier. I don't have to go searching. I actually follow some shows that I can't even tell you the last time I actually listened to an episode. Uh, and I just delete those. But you never know when an episode's going to come on that I want to hear. So if you subscribe, like I say, subscription is free. You never, ever have to worry about remembering to listen to an episode. So subscribe, damn it. No, I'm just kidding. But subscribe. Also, to give the show a little greater visibility, uh, I know some platforms you can like the show, rate the show, review the show. If any of those options are available to you and you have a minute, to do so please do any of those things whatever is on available to you on the platform you're listening to like i said there are so many platforms i don't i only listen to one platform so i don't know what it is on the other ones but anything like that will definitely help give the show greater visibility and i would appreciate it if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter twitter is the uh platform that i am most active on i have two accounts at Joe underscore Lozito, and at Kali Sinbin Pod. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. So the Kali Sinbin Pod Twitter account, the Facebook account, and the Instagram account basically mirror one another. Uh, that is strictly Islander enforcer stuff, uh, Islander organizational enforcer stuff. You have birthdays, you have photos, uh, fights. Um, 
stats, things, things related to the program you will find on those platforms, be it Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and at Joe underscore Lazito on Twitter. That's my personal account. Nothing too serious on there. Uh, lately, I've been kind of posting about uh, the corrupt governor, Hansy Andy, here in New York. Um, he should be uh, resigning, but uh, I take some shots at him. But that's about as serious as it gets. Nothing too heavy on the uh, personal Twitter page. But if you're a fan of the show, if you enjoy the content, and you're on those platforms, definitely give a like or a follow so you're kept up to date with uh, all the goings-on of the program and also some interesting Islander Enforcer tidbits. Now, as you may or may not be aware of, uh, aware of, aware of my wife came out and distracted me. Um, as you may or may not be aware, I have merchandise. And the merchandise is available in two different styles, my uh, classic logo and the alternate logo. So if you don't mind, if you're interested, scroll down a little bit past the episode description of this very episode that you're listening to, and you'll see two links. One is for the classic logo. One is for the alternate logo. And what's on there? Well, it's hot. It's August. It's warm. No matter where you are, it's warm. Tank tops, ladies tank tops, men's tank tops, t-shirts, onesies, um, totes, leggings, socks, towels tapestries whatever teespring allowed me to create i created it is all available there for you uh not just the blue i always sport the blue stuff but you can get it in a variety of colors variety of sizes and as always listener exclusive discount the listener exclusive discount for this week is Duset 20 d-o-u-c-e-t Two zero to set twenty. That code is good for one week. It will expire on August sixteenth, twenty twenty one. The reason why I'm so pumped about the merchandise is because it was done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. If you're interested in hiring Joe for any art projects that you have coming up or any art needs, uh, you can hit him up. Did you still say hit him up? Is that like a is that a boomer thing to say now? I'm not sure, but. On Twitter, at GraphicsJoker, or at LoudEgg.com. I think I read that Joe got a new job, so I'm not sure about the LoudEgg part, but uh, I have to actually check with him. But definitely at GraphicsJoker on Twitter. Check out check out Joe's work. He's an amazing artist. Uh, probably a lot of sports fans know him for his tunes, but he can do any kind of art, and uh, he's a wonderful human being. I definitely recommend checking out his stuff, and I absolutely 100% recommend getting in touch with Joe if you have anything that you need to be drawn. I painted? I guess he paints? I don't know. I don't want to say he paints, but I know he can draw. So definitely check. You know what? I'm not sure, so you need to get in touch with him, and he can give you all the details. A few other shows I would like to tell you about. If you like this program, Chances are you will like these other programs. First, the Fourth Line Voice podcast with my friend Darren up in Saskatoon. Darren is the OG of the Enforcer podcast genre, even though he's younger than me. He uh, he started this well, well over 100 episodes. Uh, good guy up there in uh, Saskatoon. And uh, his latest episode, honestly, is one of the best episodes he's ever put out. Um, Darren does full-length interviews, uh, like I do, 
uh, and actually like one of the other shows that I'm going to tell you about. But he also has a sub-series similar to what I have when I do my little sub-series uh, Talking Isles of Forces with or the Seasons episodes. Darren has episodes he does, five toughest opponents, with mostly with previous guests. But this week he did five toughest opponents with someone who I hope is a future guest, and that's Cam Jansen. Um, if you're not familiar, Cam has a podcast of his own. He's very good on it, Cam and Strick podcast. Uh, he's just got a great personality. And uh, him and Darren, you know, they they hit it off really well. They had great chemistry. And uh, it was a really, really fun episode. I hope, I hope, I don't think Cam Jansen listens to my show. But if he does, Cam, please uh, hook up with Darren and do a career retrospective episode because I think it would be amazing. I know Cam is probably very busy with uh, a lot of his duties, but I told Darren, if you can do it piecemeal, piece it together, it, it would have to be great. Cause Cam is, Cam's a lot like Trevor Gillies. He's got a very good memory and uh, he's very loquacious. And uh, like I said, just, you know what? Don't take my word for it. Go and listen to Cam Jansen, five toughest opponents on the fourth line voice podcast also you like watching hockey fights right of course you do if you didn't you wouldn't be listening to this but when you go on youtube and you watch hockey fights and you do a search chances are you've watched a hockey fight or two on the fourth line voice youtube channel hit up that channel darren makes it very easy with a little search option you can search teams leagues fighters uh Anybody it doesn't have to be a fighter. I'm sure he's got fights in there, guys who don't do it normally, but makes it very simple for you to navigate on his fourth line voice YouTube channel. So check out the show. Darren's got an amazing back catalog. Definitely check out his latest episode with Cam Jansen. He does. Darren does two episodes a week, Sundays, Wednesdays. Check him out. You won't be disappointed. Five for Fighting podcast with the kid, Alec Olin Salen. Alec's just a pup. Definitely a pup compared to me. Also a pup compared to Darren. But as I always say, Alec is an old soul when it comes to hockey fights. Very, very passionate. And I give him a ton of credit because the way that hockey's going right now, if you want to be Alec's age, I think he's like 24, and you want to be into it as deep as he is, it's a lot of effort. Because the sport is doing everything it can do, everything in its power, to keep you away from on-ice mayhem. But Alec, he wades through all that. Alec's show, Five for Fighting Podcast, excellent, excellent show. His latest episode, uh, he went live on Facebook for the second time, and uh, he he um, talks to uh, people in his Facebook group, the Enforcer Appreciation Facebook group takes questions, takes suggestions. And in his latest episode, um, he was <laughs> Darren was giving him a hard time about certain things. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, one of the, I'm not going to be able to do it this Saturday, but one of these Saturday nights I'm going to have to definitely remember to join in, and uh, I'm sure we can have a little fun with Alec. But that is his latest episode, very good episode. And I just saw before I started recording that um, he was able to record tonight with uh, Howie Rosenblatt, uh, another Quad City Mallard, former Quad City Mallard, uh, the team that Alec grew up uh, watching. So look for that. I believe it'll be out Tuesday, and I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So definitely check that out. And like I said, 
Uh, check out the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Uh, really, some good guys on there. Some assholes on there. I mean, it's Facebook. What do you expect? But you get to talk to like-minded folks, and uh, you get to talk to some of the former fighters. And like I said, Alec uh, has been going live, uh, I think, twice so far. He's gone live on Facebook to do episodes, and they sound like they're a lot of fun. So uh, I just hope he doesn't do them too late because I'm already in bed, uh, you know. So um, he does them late, like 8.30 or something, and, and I'm already – I already got the nightcap on. And so uh, – but no, seriously, uh, check out the Enforcer Appreciation page. Check out Five for Fighting Podcast. Just like Darren has an excellent back catalog, definitely give it a listen. The Bucket Drop Podcast is currently in hiatus, but Bobby Longrest does an excellent job. Short episodes, 10 to 20, 25 minutes, focusing on current things in hockey. He used to do interview episodes uh, with a lot of – he had a lot of tough guys on there too, but didn't have to be tough guys. But uh, he also had some French guys on there. He's bilingual, so uh, um, Bobby does a great – he sort of – stop doing the interviews now he does these quick hit episodes where you know they're short he talks about mostly montreal toronto ottawa uh talks about combat sports talks about gambling talks about whatever's on his mind uh a lot of times there's a nice background sound he might do it from the boat or um you could tell when he's working he does it from the truck but bobby does a great job real easy episodes to listen to real good guy um, I know I've said it at least once. He's uh, expecting his second child, and uh, I don't think it's too soon, but uh, it'll be here before you know it. You know that. So uh, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I think he told me, and it's not my story to tell, even if I remember. Actually, I think I do remember, but it's not my kid, not my story to tell. So check out Fourth Line Voice Podcast. Check out Five for Fighting Podcast. Check out the Bucket Drop Podcast. You won't be disappointed. They're all good friends of mine. They're all good dudes. They all know what they're talking about. So now, if you go to my Twitter feed, either one, you'll see that I have been posting for weeks and weeks and weeks about this GoFundMe to bring back Drop Your Gloves. Steve from when Probert, when Probert was king.com, easy for me to say. Um, dude is rain man of hockey fights, remembers everything. I, I think he remembers what uh, ben Wilson had for breakfast the night he fought Terry O'Reilly. Uh, but Steve's a great dude. He is doing the hockey fight community a huge favor by trying to rebuild a site that we all used at one point or another. We used it. The players used it. The coaches used it. It's a great site. My interview tonight with Wayne Doucette, I did not have access to his fight card. So I'm trying to piece it together piecemeal, trying to go through the DVDs that I have and make a list. And thankfully, uh, when I spoke to Deuce, he uh, remembered some of the bigger names that he fought in junior and uh, going forward even into the American League. So um, thank God he had a good memory because I was able to uh, take note of those and then we discussed them. But it's a valuable resource. And Steve was given an estimate of about $10,000. The GoFundMe is slightly over 5000 It sort of hit a wall here. Um, so if you're able to donate, any amount will help. And uh, if you can't donate, if you could retweet my tweet, it'll be uh, it'll go to a different set, different sets of eyeballs. Maybe they could. Also, Darren touched on it a couple episodes ago. If you're someone in the computer field that is uh, good at building websites, and I mean legit websites, not like uh, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know, I don't want to denigrate a, a website company, but 
I think the last time I used GeoCities. Uh, but not, what was it, AOL Hometown, which I know they don't have anymore. So, But legit websites where you can link up videos. And I'm not even going to give other examples because I am not skilled in that. But if you know someone in the field and they can do it cheaper than ten grand, hit me up. I'll put you in contact with Steve and maybe we can get this done. So uh, I'm not asking you to donate so it makes my life easier or Darren's life easier or Alex's life easier. Alex life easier. Jesus Christ. It's late. I'll tell you why it's late. Um, but it's a valuable resource. We all used it. Everybody's got a dollar. I mean, I, I haven't worked in a year and a half. I have a dollar. So everyone's got a dollar. A lot of people have $5. But like I said, if you can't, just retweet my tweet. Get it out there to your audience and let the people decide if they want to donate. So now the reason why it's late, I am actually recording this intro on Thursday because I will not be here for the weekend. And uh, I'm, I'm emulating my hero, Darren, who will set up his episodes if he's not going to be around. So I'm not going to be around this weekend. I don't know how the Wi-Fi is where I'm going. So I want to make sure that this episode drops Sunday uh, for the subscribers and Monday for everybody else. So, I'm recording this actually Thursday night. Not much has happened in uh, the Islanders world since I recorded my last introduction to the Darcy Harris episode on Monday. So there's really nothing to report other than Scott Mayfield went for a ride along with his brother, who uh, is an air force. He's in the military. He's a pilot. So that was cool. Uh, but really nothing else has happened. So we're still waiting on Lou to divulge the signings. People are getting antsy. Um, you know, I know if I was if I was a teenager, I was in my twenties, I'd be pretty antsy right now. But at my advanced age, I trust Lou and uh not and, and I saw someone post this on Twitter that if it was anybody else, Islander fans would be going crazy. If it was Garth Snow or Mike Milbury, people would be going crazy. And you know what? You are 100% right. I don't remember who, who posted that. But those guys have not earned the uh, benefit of everybody having patience like everyone does with Lou Lamarillo. Lou Lamarillo has earned it. Listen, I, I it's getting a little a little crazy now. You know, just uh, I can't wait myself. But I understand he has a process. He's doing what he wants to do. Lou is worried about one thing. That's the Islanders. He's worried about the Islanders winning. If it means that you and I have to wait for him to announce his signings, so be it. I hope that Tarasenko is not one of. Well, I wouldn't be signing a trade. I hope he's not one of them. But it'll get there. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, Lou will have announced everything. So this is absolutely moot. But as of Thursday night at 10.58 p.m. Eastern Time, Nothing new has happened in Islanderland. Um, I would like to say congratulations to Gordy Dwyer. Uh, Gordy and I have known each other a very long time. If you listen to the Darcy Harris episode, we mentioned Gordy's one of the guys I met through Terry Ryan. Uh, really, really good guy. Really, really smart guy, too. Uh, he's been involved in coaching. He's coached uh, overseas in the KHL. He's coached in uh, junior hockey. Uh, I really think it's only a matter of time before he's coaching in the NHL. But Gordy was just named head coach of the St. John Sea Dogs. And uh, to me, it's just a matter of time. This is uh, – I know Gordy. Gordy is great with the kids. He may he may want to stay. I mean, I don't know what the end game is. That's none of my business. 
I mean, Brian Kilray has made an amazing career for himself coaching the Ottawa 67s. Yeah, he was here for a bit, and I don't know if he has ever gone anywhere else, but you never know. Maybe Gordy is the next Brian Kilray of junior hockey, or maybe in a couple of years he's in the NHL. Who knows? But as of tonight, Gordy Dwyer is the coach of the St. John Sea Dogs. Good luck, Gordy. Congratulations, buddy. Very proud of you. Keep it going. Keep keep this goodness going. Finally, it's Thursday night. Suicide Squad, a, a non-hockey thing. Suicide Squad comes out tomorrow, but it was in some theaters tonight. And I got back from watching it. The family had a nice movie night out. Myself and the missus and the boys went to see Suicide Squad. And I am going to tell you, it was hilarious. Very, very good movie. Um... My my qualifications, my parameters for a movie to tell you to go see a movie is very simple. I want to leave that theater when it's over. I want to leave it entertained. And the movie was, I mean, it had everything. It had a lot of action. A little, it had a little bit of gore, just so you know. I mean, it is rated R. Maybe that's why. A little bit of gore. Um, and not like Saw-type gore. Like, you know, superhero movie-type gore. Um but it was really funny. Uh, all the big names that are in it that you probably have seen in the trailers, um, really, they, they hit a home run. They hit a home I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, John Cena, um, Idris Elba, he's in it. Um, oh, Margot Robbie. Everyone, all the big names. I mean, everybody that was in it was was excellent. Excellent. And um, the the chemistry between it's like a rivalry that uh, Cena and uh, Idris Elba, Idris Elba, however he says his name, um, it, it's it's hilarious. They they're going back and forth all movie, and uh, you know what was the best part about the movie though? The movie did not have an agenda. It was perfect because so many movies now, and Marvel is really really guilty of this in their movies and their series. There's an agenda. They're always trying to push something, whether it's political or social. It it's it ruins everything. Nobody wants oh, a small percentage of people are gonna go, yeah, that was awesome. But the majority of people watching a movie or watching a, a, a show like a Marvel program, I don't think anyone really wants to see, you know, check uh boxes checked off. Just entertain us. And the movie tonight it was just a funny, funny movie, action movie, and no agendas. And I'm usually pretty good. Not that I'm a genius. Most people could pick out the agendas. But especially, like I say, with Marvel or a lot of the movies that have come out in the last few years, the, the agendas being pushed are so over the fucking top that it's annoying and it takes away from the enjoyment. But... Suicide Squad, first of all, a million times better than the first one. Uh, but it's a it's a fun movie. Uh, if you got little kids, if you if you got if you have little kids, like I said, the it's rated R. Probably, like I said, there's a lot of gore. Uh, but again, not graphic stuff like like Saw or anything like that. But uh, just so you know, but it's a fun movie. It's a funny movie, and as far as I could tell, no fucking agendas being pushed so definitely definitely recommend it if you're interested in that kind of stuff go see it it's great um well it's not great um, you know maybe um let's see if i had to give it out of 10 
I don't think I've ever seen a movie that's a 10. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that's a 1. So I maybe 7.3, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. If, for me, a 7.3 is pretty good. So uh, maybe even a 7.5 I would give it. Definitely worth it. If you want to go out to the movies, I'm not getting paid by them, so I'm going to stop talking about them. But um, definitely a fun night out. I had a great time with the family. So that brings us to tonight's interview, Wayne Doucette. Wayne, again, and I, I bring it up in the interview, uh, I met Wayne, another player. Like I mentioned how I met Gordy Dwyer through Terry Ryan. Uh, Wayne Doucette is another player through the Islanders that I met through Dean Ewan. Uh, when they were teammates together in Capital District. And the Capital District teams, they were such a good group of guys. And, uh, you know, I don't think, I mean, the fact that I know Dean, you kind of have the in, let's say, because, well, if he's friends with him, you know, I'm sure he's a good guy. But with the group of guys from CDI, the group of guys from Springfield, I don't I don't necessarily think it matters. They're just a good group of guys. Deuce is a great guy. I don't think it matters. But, um it was great. You know, him and I had been messaging a little bit, uh, you know, over the last couple of years through Facebook. And um, I had asked him to be on the show maybe a year ago and then was just trying to find his fight card. But um, really, really enthusiastic about doing the interview. Um, actually was surprised I reached out to him. Very, very humble guy. But um, if you're too young to have seen Wayne play, um, always, always physical. Um, could put the puck in the net. Played some, didn't play defense, but played defensive as a forward. Could pretty much do everything. And uh, like I said, didn't shy away from the physical stuff. Didn't shy away from dropping the gloves. And uh, took on some pretty big names over his career. Um, but make no mistake, Deuce is like a lot of the guys I talked to. Check out his stats. His numbers in junior were pretty fucking good. And uh, he ended up being a second-round pick by the Islanders. And... Um, you know, spent time in uh, Moncton with Winnipeg's team. and uh, But for the most part, you're, once Junior was over, he was pretty much with the Islander organization for five or six years. So, um, again, this was a very, very fun interview for me. These guys are great. And uh, Deuce is just a fucking great guy. So, let's see. I always do this. How long have I been talking for? All right. 25 and a half minutes. And uh, that's about it. You've had enough of me. So stand by for Wayne Doucette. So if you know me or you're a a regular listener to the show or if you follow me on social media, uh, you know a period of time of hockey that uh, is very close to my heart is the uh, late 80s, early 90s American Hockey League. And I always wax poetic about the Springfield Indians. And when I do... I should really include the three seasons that the Islanders had their affiliation in Troy, New York with Capital District, because basically one just went into the other. So that's why whenever I get a guest on that played for one of those two teams, it's it's really a thrill for me because, I mean, just personally, it was a fun time for me getting to know a lot of the guys. I loved the hockey. It was violent, uh, my kind of game. Uh, and, and today I'm fortunate enough to get another guest from that time period. Uh, it's, it's great to have reconnected with you. And, um, I just want to introduce everybody to former, well, you did play a few games at Springfield, but former capital district Islander Wayne Doucette. How's it going tonight, Deuce? 
Good, Joe. Uh, it's a pleasure, and thank you for asking me to be on the show. It's uh, it's nice. <laughs> oh, it's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I just, you know, I mean, we've spoken a million times before, especially back in the day, but I always appreciated your style, and, uh, you know, so you were a natural fit for this. And just for everybody listening, I would have had Deuce on a long time ago, but uh, finding his fight card now that Drop Your Gloves is no longer a website uh, proved to be a little difficult, but thankfully he has a very good memory, and he remembered a lot of his opponents so uh so thank you for that also Wayne I uh, that helped out a lot so you were born um am I saying it right Etobicoke Ontario yes it's a suburb of Toronto okay so if I had a time machine and I was able to go back I don't know if there are ponds in Etobicoke or if it's just that you skated as a kid in the local rink if I was able to see a, a, a young Wayne Doucette who did you emulate as a kid who were you when you were out there playing well, when I was young, I was a big Tiger Williams fan. I, I don't know if I played like him, but being in Toronto, uh, you know, we always watched the Leafs. Um, I had the pleasure of actually meeting uh, Lanny McDonald when I was very young. He lived in a neighborhood of a friend of mine, so uh, we went by there and met him, and he was nothing but gracious and everything you would think. Um you know, but growing up in Toronto, like I hear a lot of your stories, a lot of guys from out west living on the farm out in the country. Uh, I actually grew up in downtown Toronto for a couple a couple years, um, right by the uh, C&E, which would be like the Sky Dome today. Okay. Um, so there was definitely no ponds. Um, <laughs> and then we, we moved to uh, Mississauga, which is just on the other side of Etobicoke, and um, you know, uh, I grew up in an apartment building in, in, in an apartment complex area where there was a lot of buildings. So really there were no rinks. We played a lot of road hockey. Okay. Um, and, uh, but, uh, no, if I had to pick somebody, I would have to say Tiger Williams, Daryl Sittler, you know, uh, some of the famous Maple Leafs back in those days. Well, those are, those are three pretty big names. I could definitely see why you would uh, gravitate towards those guys. That's for sure. It would, have, it would have been interesting to see if you uh, had a Lanny McDonald mustache at one point in uh, Capital District, though. <laughs> no, I could never grow one quite like that, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't think a lot of us could, so that's something special. No. So we're going to fast forward um, to 1985. Now, uh, according to – and there's not a lot of stats available, but if what uh, my research is, is correct – it looks like you may have played with two clubs that year, the Toronto Marlboros and the Markham Waxers. Now, I'm assuming that you must have had a really good season with the Marlboros because I only see that you played four games for Markham, and then I saw that you were drafted in the first round in the OHL draft after that. So could you give me a little background on, on uh, I guess, what is that, um, Junior A? Well, no, the uh, the Toronto Marlies were, uh, they would be minor hockey. They had a minor hockey team. Uh, so all the way from like eight years old up to 16, they had, uh, they also had a team back in those days. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was 14, I uh, played with the Marlies and, uh, we actually won the all Ontario. So we had, we had a pretty good team. Um, and then there was two of us, myself and a guy, Trevor Dam. Uh, we moved up an age group and played midget hockey with the Marlies um, you know, a couple names there would be like uh, Peter Ring was our goalie. Okay. Uh, and uh, we had a couple guys drafted. Uh, we had at the time we actually had a lot of guys drafted into the OHL. 
Um, but the Markham Waxers were an, an affiliate, and they were junior A tier two. So okay. a uh, few of us were lucky to get up there and uh, play a few games, and uh, it was a great experience. Um, and then from there on, um, I did get drafted into uh, the OHL and started in Sudbury. Um, which is probably about uh, five hours north of Toronto, so it was a big move. Um, but uh, you know, it was uh, that was the journey that happened. Uh, I actually had an offer to go to Michigan State. Oh yeah. Uh, but I had to uh, play two more years of junior B. Um, but um, at the time, we went with the OHL in Sudbury, and uh, you know, things have turned out the way they have. So obviously. Um... For regular fans of the NHL, everyone thinks, well, everyone thinks, everyone knows, like, the dream is to get drafted into the NHL. But for a kid like yourself, playing for the Marlies, playing for the uh, the Waxers, um, and obviously the times were way different back then. There's no internet back then. Um, Was it a big deal when you got drafted by Sudbury and, and you were drafted in the first round, seventh overall? So how big of a deal was that for you? Well, it was huge, right? Like our family, we were very, uh, my father and I would, would watch a lot of OHL games. He would take me everywhere, you know, so, and being in Toronto, we had a lot of access to a lot of those places. So all my life I was watching uh, games of the OHL. So um, when it came my turn, you know, it was, it was exciting. And I mean, at the time it was huge. Um you know, you're sitting there and you're looking at all these teams. And uh, to be quite honest, I knew everything about every team, uh, but I didn't know anything about Sudbury, right? So, I mean, <laughs> that's how it goes. And uh, so I was I was surprised, um, you know, and, uh, you know, God bless anyone who's from Sudbury. But back in those days, they used to say it was like living on the moon because it's a mining town. Mm-hmm. So I remember the first time my family and I drove up there and we didn't really see it as that. Like, it, you know, they had a big old arena. Um, the city was great, but, uh, you know, it was a big thing to move away from home. You know, I just turned 16, like um, two months before the season started. So it was, it was a big deal for me to leave. Uh, it was probably a huge deal for my mother to let me go. Um, at such a young age, you know, but, uh, that's what you got to do. Well, it's funny that you mentioned what you said about Sudbury. I did, uh, an interview yesterday with a friend of mine, Darcy Harris. He was in the OHL, uh, a, a decade after you, and he was talking about fighting some guys from Sudbury and he has friends there. And what he said was, uh, you know, I love my buddies from Sudbury, something like that. He goes, it's not hell, but you can see it from Sudbury. So, uh, so I guess that's, uh, the common theme up there but uh he just said i think he said they still play in the same rink that you probably played in and he said when he would go in there with kitchener he absolutely hated playing in there yeah they they used to well i'm sure they still do but back when i was there they actually had a stuffed wolf that when we scored they would come out like on a clothesline (laughs) and uh i i i sure hope they've upgraded it (laughs) (laughs) well so your first year in sudbury I mean, honestly, I don't know if you really could have done any better. Uh, you really took to the league, 64 games. You had 48 points, including 20 goals. You had 85 PIMS. How was the adjustment going from, say, Markham and uh, the Marlies up to the OHL and in Sudbury? Well, it was it was it was quite a first couple of weeks for me. I uh, I had the 
privilege of playing with a guy, Mike Hudson and Max Middendorf. Mm-hmm. So my first couple days up there, I mean, I was flying, I was scoring. I thought, oh, my God. And I ended up getting into a fight with a guy named Mike Lozon, who I think he pretty much just played senior A, but I guess he was beating everybody up, and I had noticed. And uh, he tapped me on the shoulder, and we had a go. And, um, you know, I ended up throwing my shoulder out, and uh, he uh, he ended up, like, gouging my eye. And uh, so I I was in kind of rough shape, and then, um, after that, like the first exhibition game, um, I jumped onto the ice, crossed center ice, and got absolutely leveled with a clean hit by a guy named Bob Babcock, oh, who, was, who was an absolute tank. Yep. And I lost my helmet, hit my head on the ice. I ended up getting like 50 stitches in my head. Wow. Uh, this is the first shift, first <laughs> exhibition game. So, I mean... Uh, I can remember calling home the next day and uh, my mother's like, pack your stuff. We're coming to get you. And I'm like, just hold on, you know, but it was a different time, you know, like the big test for me was, um, could I put my helmet back on? Cause I had this big Fred Flintstone bump out of my head. Um, today they probably would never let you play again, but there I was back in a week. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I got a pretty rude awakening, uh, you know, but, you know, I definitely learned my lesson by not crossing center ice like that, you know, moving away from home at a young age was, it was a big adjustment. Um, you know, but I got to live with a fantastic family. It was uh, Mark LaForge's family. Mark was playing in Kingston at the time. So, um, you know, I, I, it was an absolute pleasure to be there, to live with them. They really took care of me well, uh, especially after those first couple uh couple weeks but you know we had uh our team wasn't that good uh we finished in last but you know it was a benefit for me being a young player that the team was didn't fare so well but i got to play a lot right so it it was very beneficial for me you know when we talked about that the other day that you stayed with mark laforge's family uh I was I didn't realize it until now. That has to be pretty beneficial because obviously the billets you would think most of them, if not all of them, are hockey fans. And I think the billets would you would hope would have the the players' best interest. But here you're living with the family that actually has I know at least two sons that were playing junior hockey. So that's sort of like I would say they're beyond the average billet because they actually know what you know they raised their sons to be hockey players. Now you're stepping in. And you're living with them, so they actually have lived that hockey life. So that was probably pretty beneficial for you as well. Absolutely. Like they, you know, I mean, I've I've lived with numerous people over my career, and um, some of them knew hockey, some of them didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, being at a young age, I didn't really know what was going on, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it was a learning experience for me. So, you know, even when uh, that first couple weeks, they were able to settle me down and just, you know, just really uh, just be actually just be good parents, you know, because I, I was kind of lost and, uh, and scared. But um, they were, uh, you know, I, I think his mother, Elaine, said, don't worry, I'm going to tell Mark he'll get he'll get Bob Babcock, which he did later. <laughs> but uh, no, they were fantastic. Right. And, it, you know, anybody who you've ever played junior hockey and live with another family, you know, the key thing is living with good people, because if you're not, it could definitely go the wrong way. 
well, you brought him up already, and uh, him and I have become pretty friendly on social media. Uh, I think he's a really great guy. And uh, tell me what it was like playing with Mad Max Middendorf. Well, Max was uh, he was he was from the state, so you know it was kind of interesting because uh, I think he was from New Jersey. Yep. You know, I, I mean, I pull in. I'm a I just turned 16. He's driving a brand new. Uh, Mustang and you know it, it, he's a high draft pick of the Quebec Nordiques and uh, you know so uh, you take notice as a young guy right like yeah. that's somebody you look up to Max was a character uh, he was a phenomenal hockey player um, and you know I remember when I uh, I'm pretty sure it was my first year he actually got called up right out of junior uh, and played a handful of games with Quebec and actually did very well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> you're teenagers, you have some fun. And, uh, but it was just great to be, to be able to be with those guys. I mean, all I tried to do was give them the puck and they did the rest. Well, I did reach out to Max. I told him that, uh, I was going to be chatting with you. I asked him what he remembered most about you. And he said, uh, that you always had a smile on your face and you were a super nice kid and a very good two-way player. So that's what uh, what Maxie said about you. Oh, that's that's yep. nice. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another guy you played with, uh, another former Nordique, Ken McRae. What do you remember about playing with Ken McRae? Oh, Ken, yeah, I room with Ken. That's who they roomed me with right out of training camp. And, uh, you know, Ken... Uh, I would say he's full of uh, piss and vinegar, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's the guy that he always gets the job done. Um, and, and watching him throughout uh, my career and watching him go on, I mean, Kenny's always been a guy that's put up some numbers. He's he's tough. He's fought a lot of guys, never backed down. And, I mean, I, I kind of ran into Kenny a lot of places. Like even – even at the end of my career in Phoenix, you know, we just kind of laughed because I got there and then he got traded there. And, uh, you know, he was another guy I looked up to at the time because, uh, you know, he was a first round pick of Quebec and, uh, you know, here I am skating with these guys. Right. So, uh, just like when you go into, to the pros, you know, it takes a little while to realize these guys are just normal. Like you are right. They've yeah. just, they've just have done some things. Well, I also reached out to Kenny. And I asked him what he remembered most about you. It's sort of like this is your life. He said, uh, Deuce is a great guy, just a great teammate with tons of Bill LaForge stories from Hamilton that I'm sure he'll talk about, as well as Sudbury. We weren't very good, just like you said. We weren't very good his first year in Sudbury, but we had a lot of fun on the rock uh, with a great group of boys. He'll have plenty of stories for sure. So, Oh, boy. Yep. No pressure. <laughs> Listen, the running theme from all your ex teammates is that you're a pretty good guy. And I'm not surprised. Cause I know that, uh, I know that for a fact, but, uh, Kenny wanted me to tell you hello. And as did Max, I think everybody that I reached out to told me to tell you that, uh, they say hello. So, um, well, that's great. Yeah. One other guy you played with, and I know, uh, in discussions that I've had with him, uh, he basically has, uh, expressed to me how much, uh, you mean to him and how much you meant to him, especially back in the day. Uh, and that's Jason Simon, a, a guy who played four games up here with the Islanders. You were a teammate is down there. And uh, I know that uh, when I brought your name up, uh, he just, he just couldn't stop talking about you. What are your memories of playing with Jason Simon? Well, that's, we used to call him the chief, right? And uh, well, he got traded to us from London and we were in Sudbury together and we were, we were both pretty young. 
Jason was always been uh, like a fitness guy. Mm-hmm. So I can remember we'd be on the road at one time and uh, I think he was rooming with Garth Joy and when and I walked into the room and, and Jason had earphones on and he's running on the spot and he's soaking wet. You know, we're like, what are you doing, right? And he's like, I, I got to get a workout in, right? So he's uh, he was always somebody working out. Uh, he was a great dancer. Uh-huh. Uh, loved to dance, right? Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, Jason was a tough kid, you know, and uh, he came from the reservation and he was proud of that. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. And uh, I can remember we were playing in Sudbury and um, – we were playing Hamilton and we got into a big line brawl and uh, he had a pretty good tilt with Paul Louse and um, you know, everybody, it seemed like everybody who was in that line brawl got traded the next morning to Hamilton. So uh, we ended up going to Hamilton. Uh, Jason and I had pretty long hair back in the day. And I remember we walked in and uh, coach LaForge said, uh, yeah, you're going to get that haircut tomorrow, boys, right? So <laughs> we had to cut all the hair off. And then, um, you know, Jason, uh, he went to uh, he went to Kingston after that, just before me, and then he left. Um, so, And then I ended up back with him in Salt Lake City, the farm team of the Islanders. So, you know, we, we seemed to chase each other around there and, you know, uh, I always say Jason's a, he's a Canadian story, right? Like yep. he was playing in the colonial league. Um, he was pretty much buried, right? Like once, you know, once you're down, it's tough to get out. And, you know, he got a shot in at Salt Lake city. And next thing you know, I think Mick is suspended and, you know, yep. they call him up and he, and he gets that chance. Right. So, uh, I mean, hats off to him. Like it's the Canadian dream, right? He went from, I always say he went from the basement to the penthouse <laughs> very fast. Right. So, yep. um, no, I, I got nothing but good things to say about Jason and, uh, he's doing a lot of good stuff today with the, uh, NHL native alumni and, you know, speaking on, uh, staying positive with the kids and, and doing the right thing. So yeah, hats off to him. Uh, one of the guys that you fought, I think between the two of us, we only remembered maybe one guy that you fought that year, but pretty big name guy. And actually a guy in the OHL that was a scorer, if I remember correctly, put up a lot of points, had a few fights, uh, but everyone knows who he is. It's Nick Kiprios. Do you remember fighting Kiprios? Yeah, I think uh, it was, it was my first fight and uh, they played, he played in North Bay with Burt Templeton as a coach and they, they were stacked. They had Darren Turcott. They had a whole bunch of guys, and they were they were a really good hockey club. But uh, yeah, he was an overage. I was an underage, and I must have done something to piss him off. And next thing <laughs> I know, it was going right. And uh, you know, when you're 16, basically all you're trying to do is survive out there, and uh, that's pretty much what I did. I never got hurt. I stood my ground. I did what I had to do, and and I, and hopefully he respected that. But you know, pretty funny in Toronto uh, in the Toronto sports seen uh he was huge here so he was uh i actually thought he might be the next don cherry when uh, they fired don cherry but uh, that didn't work out but yeah you know it, it's it's kind of funny when you see these guys on tv after and uh you know you've had some interaction with these guys and uh so it's always exciting 
Now, this season, I believe, uh, and I was happy that you sent me the picture that you did because I wasn't aware of it. Um, you actually played for Team Canada this year, uh, this season. Was it under 17? Is that what it was? Yeah, uh, I played in the under 17. We played uh, Russia. Hmm. The year before, um, the Russians came over and they played in Ma uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, and there was, you know, there was 17,000 people packed. And Canada annihilated them, like just destroyed them. And I mean, Canada had a pretty good team. It was Shanahan, Adam Graves, Brian Marchment, like the list wow. goes on. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I don't think they really liked it because they came back the next year. <laughs> and they had guys, you know, like Pavel Bure, you know. <laughs> and uh, all I remember was we had these beautiful uniforms and uh, they came out and they had jerseys. That's all they had. Oh, <laughs> And we thought we're going to kill these guys, right? And then they started skating, and we, you know, we couldn't catch them. So, yeah. all, all, and that was the year after Canada had the big, huge brawl. Um, oh, with the yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of tension, but it was a fantastic experience. Um, you know, anytime you can represent uh, your country, it's it's great. And, and then the next year, I was fortunate enough to get invited to the under 18 team for the tryouts and uh you know they had a lot of good hockey players there you know so it, it was a, it was a good opportunity for me and you know something i'll never forget so uh for this rookie season um like i said you scored 48 points at 85 pims uh you ended up fifth on the team in penalty minutes but at the end of the season you did win the Bud Burke Top Rookie Award along with the uh, Laurentian University Scholastic Award. I don't know if you remember that. And one of the things I always do on here is because I'm very much into academics. I know people that know me may not think so because I'm such a goofball, but especially the way I raise my sons, uh, academics are very important in this household. And whenever I interview a player that uh, received an academic award. I always want to kind of shout it out a bit because I think it's a big deal, especially for a 16-year-old kid. You're in a new town. You really could go any which way, but obviously you applied yourself to your studies too. Well, I, you really dug deep for that one. Not too many people <laughs> uh, know that, but yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I thought I, I mean, I did lead the team in rookie scoring, so I, I felt pretty confident that I had a good chance at that. And so it was, you know, my parents were there, so it was very nice. And, and I mean, but to win Scholastic Player of the Year, I had no clue that was even going to happen. So, um, you know, you know, I mean, I've always went to school. I've always done okay in school. Mm. It hasn't come easy. And, um, you know, I pride myself that, you know, over the years I was able to uh, do through correspondence, uh, you know, get a college degree and, um, uh, you know, so it was a beautiful, uh, I think my parents were really excited that I pulled that off. Um, but uh, I certainly was uh, no Kevin Shevel day off, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> well, that's a, those are big <laughs> shoes to fill as far as uh, academics. That's true, yeah. Well, the Islanders have had uh, a bunch of guys, uh, you know, Bomber won some uh, Scholastic Awards, like Chevy in the WHL. I think Mark Jansen's did as well, and now you in the OHL, so... Uh, so it might say something uh, that the Islanders, uh, they look maybe a little bit more uh, off the ice too. So uh, so well done by you back in the day. Well, thanks. Actually, when I think about it, when I knew I was coming on here, you know, I was starting to think of like my day in the Capital District Islanders. And, and I mean, there's a lot of guys that have gone on yep. 
you know, in the management positions, you know, and, and it, you know, uh, yeah. So, I mean, good on them. Maybe they did pick some decent guys out there. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about all those guys. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so we move on to your second year in Sudbury. Uh, Jason Simon is back with you. But now also you have uh, the LaForge brothers uh, are there with you, Mark and Elaine. So what was it like? I, I mean, I think people, anyone that's a, a fan of hockey fights and aggressive hockey uh, may not know too much about Elaine, but everybody knows about Mark LaForge. Uh, what was it like being a teammate of his? Well, I could tell you instantly we had respect. I mean, we used to go into Sault Ste. Marie. Bob Babcock would run around and try to take our heads off. We would go to North Bay. It would be the same thing. I mean, on our team, we had a couple tough guys, uh, Rob Wilson, Jason Simon, Dean Guitard. Um, you know, but when Mark came in, it was instantly nobody was going to push us around. And um, it, <laughs> it was fantastic having him on the ice because um, nobody did anything really to us, right? And if someone did, he just stepped in and took care of it real fast. And, I mean, at the time, we were doing fantastic. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware we had a, we ended up having a huge brawl with uh, Guelph Platers. And, um, That's my next did, question, so go yeah, on. Yeah, they did <laughs> not really have a tough team. They had a couple tough guys that just by chance were not uh, – were not there or the, excuse me, they weren't, they weren't playing. And it was at the end of a game and, um, all hell broke loose real fast. And, um, you know, uh, the end result was, uh, there was eight guys lying on the ice and, um, you know, Mark, Mark did do some damage out there. And I mean, once you kind of caught on what was happening, um, you know, all I remember is I grabbed the guy in the other team that I knew, mm-hmm. and I just said, "Hey, we gotta just just hold on here." Yeah. Like, you know, and uh, it, it was it was scary. I mean, uh, any brawl, any you know, anyone can tell you is if they say they're not scared, they're lying, right? Yeah. Um, it got ugly real fast. Um, you know, and you know we're teenagers, so I mean, once it was over, I think. And Mark got suspended for life. Um, And at that time, that was the biggest suspension ever handed out. I mean, uh, then it wasn't so, wasn't so funny and it wasn't so great. Um, So, you know, and it, it, it tarnished, it's really tarnished Mark because I mean, Mark, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Mark was a phenomenal hockey player. Yeah. When he wanted to play, he, you know, he could play with anybody. Um, you know, but he had that switch that if you if you tempt him, he's gonna he's gonna turn it on, right? And mm-hmm. and that night he did. And and oddly enough, I can I have always looked. There is zero footage of that incident. Yeah. Um. You know, but the end result was there was literally eight guys on the ice and they and they couldn't get off, right? And uh, and then the wasn't far after that they ended up trading half the team away. So a bunch of us went to Hamilton. A bunch of guys went to uh, uh, Guelph. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I think it was Guelph. We had two rookies, Kevin Mahoney and Ray Edwards. And uh, I know Edwards. Were, Not know him, were, but I know of him, yeah. They were tough as nails. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, Ray Edwards came in with a mohawk, and everyone's like, who's this kid? Uh, he came from a beach town, Wasaga Beach, and... Uh, you know, they were tough as nails. So, I mean, 
you know, over the years I played on uh, quite a few teams, but I would have to say that was probably the toughest team I played played on. And um, as you'll probably hear later on in the stories, it's uh, it's better to be on that team than being against. <laughs> well, before we get to Hamilton, you have some explaining to do. Tell me what happened that led to the three-game suspension for spearing Dennis Vial. Oh, well, yeah, we were playing Hamilton, and uh, at the time, I don't know who came up with this idea, but a couple of their players had, uh, they had to wear visors, but instead of the clear visor, they had the cage cut in half. And we were, the rumor had it that they would be filing them down. Um, you know, and low, like they had Kirk Tomlinson, they had Dennis Vial, they, they had a tough team mm-hmm. to begin with. Right. So I'm not sure exactly what happened with Dennis and I, but we kind of squared off and, uh, I was I was trying to get him to take his helmet off and, and he wouldn't and then he just kind of kept coming back coming at me so I I speared I guess I had to make a choice right and I speared him and uh, I didn't hurt him but I ended up getting three games for it so you know you do what you got to do I guess yeah all right so now you've alluded to it twice and so now we're gonna talk about that brawl uh, with Hamilton so uh, were you in, you were involved in the brawl. Do you remember who, uh, who you were paired up with or kind of set the scene for everybody, if you don't mind? Well, really, uh, I, I, I don't remember who I was, who I was with, okay. but I do remember Jason Simon. Um, I believe he was fighting Paul Louse and he, I believe he got Louse down, then he, he need him in the head. So okay. he got suspended, but there was like, um, I'd be lying if I said I can actually remember that, but mm-hmm. uh, okay. the end result was we got back to Sudbury. We drove five hours back, and then we had to get on a train and come back the next morning. Right? <laughs> so it was uh, it was quite an ordeal. It was literally the next morning. You you got traded that night. Next morning, you liter- it was literally right after that game. I would say I got traded at four o'clock the next day. No kidding. And then we were there that night. Wow. And now yeah. you, you go to Hamilton. You're already talking about some of the tough guys they have. You mentioned Vial. You mentioned Paul Laws. I think they also had Keith Primo. Uh, yeah. Now they have you. Now they have Jason Simon. Now they have Ken McRae. Uh, I think Elaine LaForge was also part of that trade. So now, like you say, now you guys have almost like an army out there. And uh, 10 players that year finished the season with 100 penalty minutes or more. And um, – this is where Bill LaForge comes in. So, uh, so tell me about playing for Bill LaForge. Well, he is, uh, he is actually, um, a great promoter. Um, if you're part of his team, like he, he will promote you. Mm -hmm. Um, and if he don't like you, you will not be there. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. Um, he wanted a tough team. He demanded a tough team. He, he demanded, uh, everybody to show up. I mean, there was crazy nights. I can remember in Windsor, we we lost. We were losing like seven nothing, and he called a timeout with like ten seconds left. And in the Windsor, the fans were crazy, and uh, so every you know, every you know, he just says if anyone throws anything at at us, we're going right, and uh, we didn't go. But uh, you know, um, you know, Bill, uh, bless his soul, has passed on. Um, he was good to me. Yep. Um, he would. Uh, he knew, like, if somebody was rated higher than you, or you were close, like, he would set it up and 
And I mean, he, you know, he's, he's, I don't want to say he's right out of slap shot. He yeah. comes from a different era, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he demand, like he, you know, he would raise our bench. He would lower their bench. He would turn <laughs> the heat on in the other team's dressing room, crank it up. Um, you know, but, uh, like that team that year, we had, we had a good team. Mm-hmm. Problem was Windsor was really good. They had, they were stacked and they won, um, they won our league that year. Um, but, you know, you have guys like Keith Primo, uh, Paul Louse, you know, Dennis Vial, Kirk Tomlinson, Jamie Leach, Sean McCosh, John Purvis, Ken McCray, Stan Drulia. Like, so, you know, I went from Sudbury being on the first line going down to like the third line, yeah. which which was fine. But yeah. it was just a he was he was building. He was a good builder. To, he was a winner. Right. Like he always wanted to win. And uh he demanded toughness, and, and if you didn't do it, he called you out big time. Um, my problem that year was I, I tore the ligaments in my ankle and kind of came back too early because it was my draft year. And I ended up getting mononucleosis, <laughs> so I ended up losing like 30 pounds, and I, I, you know, I was pretty much ineffective, right? And near the end of the year, he just said, you know what? <laughs> You're not healthy. You you should not be playing, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's hurt. He said, you're hurting yourself by not playing. So, um, you know, I would say if it wasn't for Windsor, we probably would have won, had a good shot at winning everything that year. But, uh, you know, Bill was, uh, he was entertaining, man. Like, you would have to be on your toes. Uh, we played in London, and he had uh, he had a, an Indian chief come into our room, and he was talking to us, and... Um, I don't know if Bill was native or not. I, I think I think he might have had some connection there, obviously. But mm-hmm. and we ended up going out into London uh, with the he, we put all these feathers in our helmets, like sticking out of our helmets. We were all wearing different numbers, and <laughs> I mean, I knew guys on the the other team, and they were just like, "What the hell's going on?" We're like, "We're not sure, but <laughs> we're going to do it." <laughs> Well, I know some. I know a few players that have played for Bill, and obviously, uh, if I know them, they're probably tough guys. I'm not really interested in speaking to Finnish left wingers, but uh, yeah. everybody I know that <laughs> that has played for for Bill, no, it's funny. They pretty much describe him the same way you did, and they all have a ton of respect for him. So uh, he's definitely made an impact in a lot of guys' lives and careers. Yes. So absolutely. Uh, so I guess my next question, it's even a bigger credit to you. Now, during this time, I, I think people know, and uh, anyone that's, that was around this time uh, that followed the Islanders, Islanders were very heavy into scouting the Western League. And so you had this injury, you had mono and everything, and you were still drafted in the second round after this season in the 88 entry draft. So obviously, Again, we were speaking before about how it's a different time. Nowadays with the internet and there's a million channels, uh, there's so much coverage of it. The media's all over it. But at this time, what was it like being a, a prospect? I assume you were a pretty – you had to be a, a pretty highly touted prospect to go in the second round. So what was it like back then leading up to the draft? Well, early in that year, I was rated they, – you know, they come out with different ratings different times during the year. So at the beginning of that – I can remember I got a phone call from my agent saying that I was in the top three in Ontario. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and to hear that, you know, it's a dream come true, right? Like, obviously, it's fantastic. Um, you know, my second year did not go as well as my first year. 
you know, barring the injuries and, um, but, uh, you know, you, you, it's an exciting time. It's, it's, uh, as exciting as it is, it's a nerve wracking time, right? Because you know, what's, what's happening and there's a lot at stake. And then there's always a few guys that kind of come out of nowhere and kind of surpass you. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, leading up to the NHL draft, I didn't really know what was going to happen because I was hurt and I did get that mono and, um, you know, I, I know that my stock fell, um, because I simply wasn't playing. And, um, you know, so I was a little nervous going into the draft, but, uh, you know, you know, with the draft, I can remember going to Montreal and, uh, with my family and very exciting time. And, you know, doing the interviews with teams. And, you know, I'll share this, that uh, I talked to a lot of teams, but when I spoke with New York, like I can remember walking out of there going, I'm not sure if these guys are going to draft me (laughs) (laughs) because they kind of went at me pretty hard, you know, and uh, you know, they said, you know, we didn't have a good season. Do you want to know why? I said, okay. And they're like, cause we had, we had years like you did. And uh, so I can remember coming out and my dad said, how did it go? I said, I I don't think you have to worry. We're not going to go to, I won't be going to the Islanders. I don't think so. I was very surprised um, when they did pick me. And I mean, you know, I would have to say probably, you know, with my, my family, probably the greatest moment we shared together was uh, going down onto the floor and, uh, you know, meeting Al Arbor and all those guys and Bill Torrey and, you know, and you know the history, right? And uh, it was just spectacular and kind of funny. I had my aunt and uncle come down from uh, Nova Scotia and my uncle's like 6'3", skinny, and my dad is like 5'7", and he had a, he was pretty heavy back in the day. So somehow my uncle who knew nothing about hockey was able to get down on the floor and he came right up to the Islanders table where I was. And they all thought he, they all thought he was my father. And I said, no, 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 no. And then my dad came down and they're like, this is your dad. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So, but no, it was a, it was a dream come true. It was fantastic. Now, were there any teams that seemed to be really, like, hot after you that you thought you might be going to? Because a lot of times, like you said, the Islanders didn't really seem interested. And how many times have you heard a guy get drafted and, and he says, they didn't even talk to me before the draft? So were there any teams that really seemed like they were uh, really interested in you? Well, I would have to probably say Philadelphia because uh, I did talk with them. And, uh, you know, they always just – my agent just kept bringing them up all the time. Right. And, yeah. uh, it just, you know, it didn't happen. And even years later there, they always seemed to come up, but it just never happened. So now you're drafted by the Islanders and you, now you're going to your first training camp, the first NHL training camp. Now you got there obviously a few years after the dynasty ended. But when I looked at the roster, there's still a few guys in that locker room that would make anyone's jaw drop. And the names I noted were Brian Trottier, Pat LaFontaine, Brent Sutter, Ken Morrow, and Billy Smith. So what's it like for a young Wayne Doucette to walk into a locker room? And I believe Al Arbor had moved upstairs a little bit. I believe Terry Simpson was the coach at this time. But you walk into that room, what's it like seeing those legends? Well, it's... it's uh... <laughs> 
Well, first of all, in training camp at Niagara Falls, I got my two front teeth smashed out the night before uh, with a Stan Julia high stick. So I I show up to the camp. I was in uh, the dental chair for about six hours uh, from like 11 o'clock at night till five in the morning. And then I flew out at 8 a.m. So I kind of walked in, you know, not not too good, but. Yeah, I can totally remember walking in there and, and you know, Billy Smith had no hair, Yeah, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a great story that I, I remember uh, getting out there stretching and uh, I don't know who exactly fought, but someone started, two guys started fighting while we were stretching. <laughs> and then as you were well aware, you know, once one breaks out, everything's breaking out, right? And yep. You know, all I remember was Al Arbor coming off the uh, out of the stands onto the ice, saying, "We know who's tough, and we haven't even started yet, right?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Holy smokes!" Um, but I had the I had the privilege of being on Pat Lafontaine's uh, team and in, in the inner squad. And I mean, I'm sure you've met Pat, but yeah. you know, you almost think he's not a hockey player; he's a businessman. And it was just weird because he knew our names and it was just weird. Like he just scored 50 goals and, um, and our team actually, uh, so the winning team would get like about 2000 bucks. And I remember Billy Smith, all the vets would put in a hundred bucks. Yeah. And I remember Billy Smith didn't want to. So they, I, somebody was counting the money. They're like, who hasn't put in? And Billy's like, I haven't. Cause if I put in a hundred bucks, I'm playing to win. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> He ended up uh, punching LaFontaine, and that started a big fight, like on the ice, like in a scrum. Yeah. And uh, but I can remember one game we were winning like eight nothing, or we were winning quite by a good margin. And he came up to me right off the face off Pat LaFontaine. He says, "Have you got a goal yet?" And I said, "No." He goes, "Get your stick on the ice and just go to the net." And nobody heard this. And he won the draw. I went to the net. The D man you know, pitchforked me, but my stick was on the ice and it hit my stick, went in the net. And I mean, I always tell people that story. Like nobody knew that he just told me exactly what he was going to do. And, and he did it right. And it was phenomenal seeing those guys. It's a dream come true. You yeah. know? Uh, now I'm also going to rattle off some names here because you mentioned that there were uh, two guys started fighting and I just want people to understand this first training camp that you went to. And I might even be missing a guy, but do allow me to to list off about 15 names. These were all guys in your first camp, I believe. Okay, uh, Mick Lakota, Dean Ewan, Kerry Clark, Sean Byram, Dale Kushner, Alan Kerr, Dale Henry, Dean Chenouth, Duncan McPherson, Rob DeMaio, Chris Pryor, Bob Basson, Rod Dahlman, Mike Stevens, Rich Pilon. Gerald Diddick, Kevin Sheveldayoff, Andre Brassard, and Vern Smith. What do you think about that for a first yeah, camp? You know, there's you, you've said a, a few names that I actually forgot. And yeah. yeah, there was a lot of guys, a lot of tough guys, a lot of tough guys from out west. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can remember riding the van from the airport to the hotel, the Marriott, and with Rich Pilon, and he was just hoping to uh, – playing the minors mm-hmm. you know i remember him saying i just hope i can i hope i don't get sent back home 
right? And he ends up playing the whole year, right? And, and yeah, having a great career. And yeah, there's some tough boys out there. People don't understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you just rattled off 15 guys that, you know, <laughs> yeah, back in those days, they were, uh, it was something else. Uh, absolutely. Well, I think we're going to talk about a lot of those guys as we go on, but obviously, uh, it would have been a pretty a pretty big deal to make the team in your first training camp. I don't think anyone would have expected that. So you go back, and now the team's uh, Niagara Falls Thunder, and uh, you played with a guy there. One uh, one of my favorite. I I say this a lot. I realized this yesterday. I say one of my favorite people. But you played with a guy down there that might be one of the nicest people I've ever met, and he's on social media a little bit. And every time he posts, it's always something really positive. And most of the time, it always makes me smile. And you played with a young Brad May down in Niagara Falls. Uh, what are your recollections of playing with Brad May down there? Well, uh, you know, we went to Niagara Falls. It was a new team, so it was pretty exciting. Uh, I, I can remember Brad, you know, Bill of Forge, what he, you know, his fitness test was everybody gets in the room and you bench press your weight 20 times. And then you got to get up and you got to do 20 pull-ups, uh, chin-ups, right? Yeah. And and if you can't, you know, back then he would say, you go to the loser side. <laughs> and if you do it, you go to the winner side, right? Mm. So, I mean, he called us out right away. And uh, uh, thankfully, I was on the winner side. But uh, <laughs> I remember, uh, you know, like most junior hockey players, you show up in flip-flops, shorts, and sunglasses and brad may showed up in a three-piece suit <laughs> and uh you know some guys thought it was funny yeah um uh, you know and bill of forge pulled him right in front of everybody and he's he called him we didn't know who he was i don't yeah. it'd be interesting to find out what kind of a draft pick he was because i don't even think he was a high draft pick um and he said i want to know why you wore a three-piece suit and he said, I wanted to make a good first impression. And Bill LaForge was like, you absolutely did. I like that, right? And, um, you know, Brad May uh, in training camp might have fought once or twice. Like, no big deal. Nobody really noticed. And, you know, we had a we had a pretty good team. Like, there, you know, there's Brian Fogarty, Stan Drulia, Jamie Leach, Sean McCosh, Keith Osborne, uh, Keith Primo, Dennis Vial, like Mark Lawrence. The list goes on. Um, and I, you know, to be honest, he made the team, I don't even like, you know, I wasn't even really aware, but we got into, uh, we went into the stands in Guelph early in the season. I think there were six of us and we got suspended eight, six or eight games. I can't really remember, but, uh, because of Bill of Forge's reputation, Dave Branch tried to stick it to him by not announcing the suspension until six o'clock at night before, before a game. So we had to play, I think we had, you know, like 13 skaters and uh, Brad May went out and beat the living crap out of uh, John Van Kessel, who was playing for North Bay. And everybody was like, Holy smokes. That's a big boy. Yeah. And for the next six games, like he went through Brian Marchment He, he went through the whole league, and we were like, who the heck is this kid? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, that was uh, that was his uh, beginning of the OHL. Like, he literally, in two road trips, went through everybody. He hit Brian Marchment so hard so many times before Brian even knew, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, so, I mean, it goes to show tremendous fighter, tremendous guy, um, 
you know, uh, him and Keith Primo lived together and they were always comical and, um, you know, just fantastic to see a guy like that kind of come out of nowhere, becomes a first round pick of the Buffalo Sabres. He scores that May Day goal that, you know, it's nothing but positive, like you said, nothing but positive vibes for him. And, you know, there he is, a Stanley Cup winner now. So it's just fantastic. Well, ask and you shall receive. Brad May was a sixth round pick by Niagara Falls, 85th yeah. overall his draft year. So uh, 84 players went before him. It might be interesting to go through those 84 players and see how, how their careers ended up compared to his. It's probably pretty unfair to do that. But uh, but like you say, sixth round pick came out of nowhere, makes himself into a first round pick, Stanley Cup champion, pretty good story. You know, and I think a lot of that is Bill LaForge because, I mean, his first year he pretty much – played that fighting role and then then the next year a lot of guys left and bill was smart enough to put him right with keith primo and those two guys just rolled through the league right yeah and the rest is history so what led to you being traded to kingston well i had no clue i was getting traded i uh i was i had a pretty good season going i think i had like 30 some points in 20 games and uh you know, we were a very high-scoring team. We had Brian Fogarty, who broke Bobby Orr's record. We were rated number one in Canada. Like, all the talk was on us, so it was really exciting. And I walked in the dressing room one day, and my stuff wasn't in the stall. And I looked down the hall, and Bill was there, and he gave me the, you better come here, right? So I came there, and he just said, uh, we picked up Scott Pearson. He just got sent down from the Leafs. And uh, he said, the only guy they would trade is you. So you're going to Kingston. Now, I could say that I was not very happy. Um, Kingston was the worst, was in last place in Canada. So I was definitely going from the top to the bottom. Um, I remember Dennis Vial uh, drove me back to Toronto. And, uh, you know, when I I got to Kingston, I I wasn't happy. I'll be the first to admit it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but. I, you know, within one day I'm sitting in Larry Mavity's office and, uh, he's got big plans for me and got big plans for the team. And, uh, you know, I played a ton, uh, I became captain the next year and, uh, you know, uh, it was probably, you know, the best thing for my career at the time. It didn't seem like that, but, um, you know, I certainly, uh, got to, uh, got to experience, uh, you know, being on a different team and having every opportunity possible. So, you know, I was sad to leave, but, you know, I got to Kingston. I I met my wife who I'm still with today, 29 years later. So everything happens for, everything happens for a reason, you know? So uh, we just talked about a few first rounders, you know, Brad May, Keith Primo, uh, during your first time, uh, first season in Kingston, you fought a first overall pick, and that's Owen Nolan. Uh, so did Owen Nolan play uh, the Owen Nolan style down in the OHL? I believe he did. Uh, I would imagine he probably ran around a little bit down there too. Do you remember fighting him? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, I think he, as a rookie, scored 30 goals, and, you know, he, he fought a lot, right? Mm. And uh, he played in Cornwall, so Kingston and Cornwall, pretty close. So, um yeah, you know, I mean, I never was, uh, you know, you, you got some pretty heavyweights on this show, and I, I, I don't consider myself that guy at all, yeah. but a lot of my stuff was just, you know, uh, pissing people off because I'm finishing my checks, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
and that's how that came out. And I mean, he was a rookie. I was, I was, uh, I was 18 or 19 at the time. So, you know, uh, he wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. Everybody came out alive and, uh, you know, we move on from there, but he was a phenomenal talent too. Right. And you yeah. could, you could oh, yeah. see it. You could see it. Well, I, and, and speaking about yourself, like I always considered you on all the teams you're on, especially once you, you turned pro, um, you were always sort of that second tier guy where you weren't the heavyweight. Let's say you were, if you wanted to put you in a classification, call you a middleweight, let's say, but you would also score points. Uh, you'd also play, you know, like a defensive style and everything. So you, you obviously did more than fight, but you never shied away from it. And uh, I think even in the OHL where you probably played, more in the OHL than anywhere else, even though you were contributing scoring, you still didn't mind dropping the gloves. So is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. You know, I have always just tried to uh, stand up for my team and, and, and basically try not to take shit from too many people. There's certainly a few guys that I, you know, kind of skated away from, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, but you know, I mean, I always just try to finish my checks. Right. And, and, uh, you know, when you're doing that, uh, you know, you always get the odd guy coming around going, if you don't settle down, uh, we're going to get you right. And depending mm-hmm. who they are, either you stop or you, or you don't, you know, but my time in Kingston, we also had a guy, Mark major who, uh, uh, he was, uh, a big boy, yeah. tough as nails. Uh, I don't think back in junior too many, he didn't want to fight right as yeah. much. And, um, but I tell you, if you got him mad enough, look out. And, uh, and you know, his role changed when he turned pro, and he became a, quite a tough guy. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, junior's junior, right? Yeah. There's uh, Back in those days, everybody had to, uh, had to take care of themselves. And if you didn't, you know, you, you were in for a tough go. So it was just part of the, part of the time. You know, it's funny. I watch... Uh, you know, I often joke that back in junior, like if you were losing the game by a couple goals, you know, the coach gave you the green light. And if nothing happened, you know, there was hell to pay. Right. And yeah. I, I see today it's just totally different. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but, you know, certainly like someone do something right. Like someone's got to you always try to set the tone. And I can remember playing in Sudbury. We were playing against Hamilton. We were losing. We were winning 5-1, and our coach came in, gave us a big pep talk, and then he walked out, and the captain stood up and said, we better let them get one or two or they're going to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll say it. I preferred the game back then because it wasn't just junior back then. It was also the minors, and to a certain extent, especially in that time, you know, it, it was also prevalent in the NHL. You know, like you say, you have to send the message, you have to set the tone, because in most cases, you're still going to be that team again. And if they're running you out of the rink at 5-1, to one, you want to at least stand up for yourself and say, okay, you beat us in the scoreboard, but, you know, it's not going to be an easy night for you. So those are the days that I miss. You don't have to really go into it if you don't want to, but for sure, I miss those days. Oh, I, I absolutely do. I was trying to be polite. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard trying to watch some of the stuff that goes on today. And I think everything changed when the instigator rule came out. Um, you know, I, I'm all for the guys policing themselves. Um, yep. You know, the tough guys fought the tough guys. Um, you know, and if you did something stupid, you had to pay for it, right? Yep. And, and, and I mean, I, I, I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like I said, if I was running around, somebody would tell me to settle down and, 
either I did or I didn't, right? And I mean, there was always somebody out there um, policing the policing the ice, right? And I have no problem with that. And uh, and I just see today's game, you know, you have the lot of cheap shots, and, mm-hmm. and you can't do anything, right? And uh, you know, I, I, there, I remember. Uh, I love watching the retro hockey games they throw on sometimes. You know, yep. you look at 86, 87, 84, and you're just like, oh, my God, what a different, you know, what a difference, right? And, uh, 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 tugging at the heartstrings now, Deuce. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, I love that stuff. Um, so your season ends in the OHL. You find yourself uh, your first taste of pro hockey. You end up getting called up to Springfield. So you've listened to the show before, and thank you for that, by the way. Uh, so you know that uh, I do a lot of uh, – Word Association, talk about former teammates, and I rattled off some of these guys' names before. But now, if you don't mind uh, talking a little bit about being a teammate of theirs and what your impressions are of them. And uh, I know you played only played with some of these guys the, the few games in Springfield, but some of these guys you also ended up with in uh, Capital District. So um, if, you, if I could just throw out some names for you. Uh, first guy I want to know is uh, what were your impressions of Rod Dahlman? Well, Rod, I think at the time his shoulders were pretty bad. Yeah. Um, you know, but like that whole Springfield team, I can remember coming in and, you know, old Jimmy Roberts, he was quite a character and yes. he called, he, he, he wasn't shy of uh, mixing words, especially with an 18 year old, right? Mm-hmm. He'd always have his uh, leather gloves on in practice. And, uh, but, you know, I think of, uh, I think of Chris Pryor, mm-hmm. I think of Rod Dahlman, uh, Sean Byram. Yep. Uh, Sean LeBron, like, you know, um, God, I'm trying to think who else, uh, well, who I else got, was, uh, Kush was there. Dale yeah. Kushner. Dale Kushner. Yeah. Uh, I remember there was a lot of two, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, you got Kush was there. Mike Stevens was there. Um, Hank was oh, there. Dale you Henry. know what? I just, I just clicked on it. I, okay. Chris McSorley. Yep. You know, I can remember I played with him mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I think we're playing New Haven, and uh, somebody kind of came after me. You know, they, whatever they don't yeah. know who they didn't know who I was. I was only 18, but I remember Chris McSorley said, "Don't worry about, it, I got it." And I think he speared about three guys right off the draw, and then was out of the game. And um, you know, remember I remember Duncan McPherson. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he's who's passed on unfortunately, yeah. and. Uh, Kerry Clark, he was doing moonwalks across the ice and yep. the three amigos. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, you know, so yeah, there's some tough boys there, but you know, they treated me well. I was an 18 year old and, uh, you know, as my career ended, I can remember being 18 and, and, uh, as an 18 year old coming in, someone's sitting out. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it was Dale Kushner sitting out. Right. So I was always aware of that he probably wasn't too happy about that. And, um, you know, at the end of my career, uh, when I was with uh, Moncton, I remember they called up an 18 year old Larry Corville and, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a guy sitting out and I wasn't too happy about it either. Right. But those guys welcomed me. There was a few of us there. I believe Dean was there, Dean Ewan. And, uh, we all, and I, I think Danny Lorenz was a goalie. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a great time. You know, they treated me, uh, like I was there all year and, uh, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm getting pretty good per diem money, I thought, and, uh, you know, living, living the high life. Right. And, uh, no, great, great memories. And it was a great barn. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now 
you acclimated yourself pretty well to the pro game. You played six games. You had four points, uh, two goals, two assists. Do you remember your first AHL goal? Yep. It was an Adirondack against uh, Alan Bester. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I was just trying to survive there. You know, like when I look, it's actually for me, it's kind of hard to remember. Yeah. But, uh, you know, probably because it was a bit of a blur and I was just so excited of being there. But, um, you know, um, just just having the jersey on, even if though it was Springfield, like, I was so excited. You're playing in bigger arenas. I know we played in Adirondack, mm-hmm. and I think it was New Haven. But yep. uh, you know what? I was I was just trying to survive, and uh, you know I was very fortunate. Like you know, they put me um, they put me with some good guys. I believe I was playing with Tom Fitzgerald and Rich Crom, and that's not bad. You know, yeah. So I mean, you know, I would just try to get my get the puck to those guys <laughs> you know i remember uh watching the memorial cup and all those guys from medicine hat you know like you know uh, rob DeMaio and all those guys and you know it was just uh it was great to be there you know just great to be there so now um following season now you're going back to training camp with the islanders so um this would be your second camp. So how did the second camp differ from your first? Obviously the, you know, there's fewer of the bigger name guys there, but also now you went to a camp already. You played six pro games. Uh, Again, it's, it's probably a long shot for you to make the team. You still have junior eligibility, but how did your second camp differ from the first? Well, the one thing that wasn't different was I showed up with a badly broken nose that happened the day before in my, in Kingston, (laughs) I broke I broke my nose so bad from a high stick, my nostrils ripped off. Like it was, you know, I, I just awful. Right. So I walked in there, just two black eyes, looked like a raccoon. And, uh, you know, so I would have to say my first two camps, you know, I kind of went in there with a little bit of eggshells, right. Cause my <laughs> yeah. face was, uh, but, uh, I remember they sent me somewhere. The trainer gave me his car and after about a, a month, um, they sent me somewhere and the guy uh, rebroke my nose. And I remember trying to drive back to the Marriott hotel and not really know, you know, and just like, um, you know, but those days again, like, you know, we had a, a couple rookie games mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, you know, as a, as a junior player, you think I'm going to go there and go make it, but you know, you realize that there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. And, and um, you know, uh, I don't know what else I could say. It was just great to be there. And I kind of knew I wasn't going to stay there. Um, So you just try to do the best you can. And, you know, you get your advice. You know, they they sit you down. They tell you what they expect from you. And, uh, you know, I I knew I wasn't quite ready. But I I, I was certainly, um, certainly impressed just, you know, the longer, you know, I always tell people the hardest part about trying to make it is confidence. Yeah. And a lot of guys can be there, but it's, it's, it's hard to stay. And if you, you really got to get out of your own skin and realize that these guys are just like you, you know, they're just, they've, they've accomplished more. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think that's the biggest thing I was trying to do was just, just try to learn and, and get ready for, for the next year. And what was it like, um, you know, this was the year I think Al Arbor came back. So now Al Arbor is the coach in training camp. So, 
I mean, Al Arbor is a legend. I, I, you know that. I know that. Anyone listening knows that. I think he's the greatest of all time. Uh, and I know you weren't, you know, you never spent uh, time up in the regular season with the Islanders, but in these training camps or if you were ever called up, even if you didn't get into a game, um, what was your experience dealing with Al? Well, I can remember Al being on the ice, and uh, when he when he spoke, everybody listened. He had a huge presence, and he wasn't a small guy either. He right. Was big... <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I remember like, like you know, he he would he would spend time with me, and and you know, try to get me to stretch out my skating strides, things like that, and you know, he would tell me to just try to relax, play your game, do what got you here, right? And and that'd be the hard hardest thing to do, but. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate to to play uh, a couple a couple big games, and I remember my first game was in Pittsburgh. And uh, you know, as a rookie at my, and it wasn't a charter flight then; it was commercial. Yeah. Right? So, as the rookie, I had to sit beside him. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, he would just talk, tell stories, and try to keep things loose. And um, you know, I didn't have a ton of ton of time with Al, but mm-hmm. certainly listening to guys like Mick. And, and those guys talk, you know, he, he certainly was a father figure and, uh, you know, you're just trying to trying to do your best to impress him. Now, uh, after that camp, you went back to Kingston, uh, things clicked for you at a real, I'd say a monster year, 66 games, 79 points, 32 goals, 127 penalty minutes. Can something be said for the fact that you've heard you have two NHL training camps under your belt? And although, when you're 16 and junior, you could play against 20-year-olds, so those are considered men. Your two camps with the Islanders, you're still a kid, and these are real men up there. And if you kind of hold your own in training camp, does that confidence come back to you when you go back to junior? Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's kind of scary when you first come back. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself. How much faster uh, I'm, I am than... Mm-hmm some of my teammates right and i mean i'm not the world's greatest skater but the tempo up there is so much quicker that you automatically you're forced to just play at that level right so the benefit of everybody coming back after an nhl training camp is you're usually flying mm-hmm. and and uh, i i was very fortunate to get off to a good start and uh you know being 19 being the captain you know i, I got a ton of ice time ton of opportunity and, uh, you know, I, I just tried to make the best out of it. And, uh, you know, it, it was a great year, a great year for me. And it was a big year for our team and our city. Kingston, as I said earlier, wasn't so good. And, you know, we turned it all around. We had the best record for a long time at that year. And, um, you know, we're starting to sell the crowd out. And uh, so it, it was just uh it was a lot of fun. It was probably my one of my most memorable years that I've ever played hockey. Uh, how much did it mean to you to be named team captain? Oh, it was great. You know, it was it was the icing on the cake, really. And uh, you know, we had some great leaders in that room, and uh, you know, but uh, you know, the Larry Mavity made his choice. So I mean, I certainly wasn't going to argue with it. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> it, it it was it was just it was the icing on the cake. And like I said, we had a lot of guys. Um, you know, John Nelson, uh, uh, Mark Major, a lot of those guys, you know, we had a lot of leaders in that room. So it was, uh, it was pretty easy. So now we go to the following season. Uh, you're back with the Islanders. 
in training camp. Now, there's no more junior eligibility. If you don't make the Islanders, you're going down to the farm. Uh, you and I talked about it the other day. Uh, so one of the things I ask a lot of the guys, the, the guys who came right before you, they had a really famous rookie game uh, with the Rangers that happened at the Coliseum that uh, I ask everybody about. That was a, uh, the season before you got there. But you were also part of a pretty intense rookie game at the Garden, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I can remember uh, we played the Rangers in Madison Square Gardens, and it was a year after uh, Mick and Baumgartner uh, – at the end of the game went after, I think, Pear Juice and Chris King and kind of all hell broke loose. And uh, I think it was definitely payback time because we rolled into Madison Square Gardens, which, you know, was a dream come true for a kid like me. And um, and then you sit down and, you know, you're in the dressing room and you're kind of like, okay, now I got to look at this lineup. And you start looking at their lineup and you're like, oh my, you know, it was right out of slap shot. Every guy we're naming, we're like, oh my God. Um, you know, they had Rudy Postjack, Ty Domi, Greg Spenrath, Dennis Vial. Like, I mean, the list went on. Peter Ferentino, like, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because... Uh, you know, we had a couple of tough guys, but we, we certainly didn't have those kind of heavyweights. And I, I think I told you the other day, like we had a guy, Tony Schmaltzenbauer, who, yep. uh, who was a tank and, uh, you know, first shift, he absolutely crushes Ty Domi with a clean check. And, you know, our, you know, our bench was just like, Oh my God, here <laughs> we go. Right. And I think we played a period and a half before they had to cancel the game. And uh, the big guys came out, but uh, you know it was uh, it was a it was a good dose of reality of what uh, the difference between junior hockey and pro hockey can be. And uh, you know it, it's funny now, but uh, it was a little nerve wracking back then. Now uh, this season, you ended up in Capital District. A lot of it seems like you had a lot of young guys on Capital District. You played twenty one games, seventeen points. 93 penalty minutes, good for sixth on the team. And this is a question that um, I actually asked Sean Byram, and we discussed it the other day. Um, this season, uh, Dean Ewan was the heavyweight on the team, but he missed the entire season. And as far as forwards go, it really was you and Sean playing that role. Um, and I think you both admit you're not heavyweights, definitely not with the pedigree of a Dean Ewan. Did that put some pressure on you guys? Because you had toughness, you had Chevy back there and Dino on defense. But when you're, let's say your top gun, your number one heavyweight is out, does that put added pressure on guys like yourself and Sean? Well, absolutely. I mean, it was a different team that was, that was in Springfield a couple of years earlier. And, um, you know, uh, you know, between Chevy and uh, Dean Chanoff, like, uh, you know, who are two tremendous tough guys. Yeah. I mean, I just, I almost felt bad for, for those guys because it was tough for them. And, uh, you know, Sean Byram never backed down from mm -hmm. anybody. And, and we were lucky enough to pick, I think, Al Kerr up halfway through the year. Yep. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like we discussed earlier, like, you know, we, we had the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but we had to play Adirondack, I think, 12 times at least. And, uh you know, you look at their lineup compared to ours, and, and it was hard. Yeah. And um, you know, we were we were a different team, right? We're a different team than they had in Springfield. So, yeah, I mean, I ended up getting hurt ten games in, and 
playing the first 10 and the last 10. Um, but, you know, you do what you got to do. And, uh, and I've always, you know, tried to just stand up for myself and my teammates and, and those things, uh, those things happen. But, you know, back in those days, every team had, you know, three, four, five heavyweights yeah. and Dean, Dean hurt his, his wrist like I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then I think he hurt his knee too. Like, I mean, uh, he had a tremendous, uh, reputation coming in from junior um and unfortunately uh yeah he was injured right so yeah we we did definitely um miss a guy like dean just like i spoke with uh about mark laforge like his presence just being there you know counts for something and you know full marks to yourself and uh and sean byram alan kerr and chevy and dino because the bulk of the load did fall on you guys and you're a second round pick and Chevy and, and Dino are first round picks. And uh, I think that year I, th- I was watching the DVD the other day, those two guys fought everybody, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, they were also there to, to develop as players, but they, they literally fought everybody. So, um, you know, just like I said, full marks to you guys. Cause I think you, you guys did a great job with that. Um, what was it like playing for Butch Goring? Well, you know, Butch Goring, holy smokes, you know, the helmet, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and you see him and, uh, you know, and you're out there on the ice with him and his hair is flying. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I would watch Butch in practice and I mean, he could fly, but he could, I didn't think he could shoot the puck. And I would think like, my God, how did this guy score? And you watch these old games mm-hmm. and he was just an absolute workhorse. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, um, you know, with Butchie, you know, you're going from a coach, you know, that, you know, it, it's a lot different having a coach that maybe played in the minors or, or never played at all, mm-hmm. you know, to a guy that, you know, has the hockey history of him. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, Butchie was, he was pretty quiet. He was pretty quiet and he had his ways. And, uh, you know, we had a young team. So, I mean, he tried to work with us and, Chris Pryor was our player assistant and, mm-hmm. and Chris was great yeah. and, and he put in a lot of extra time with us and, you know, but, uh, you know, Butchie was no Barry Melrose. Like he, he didn't get emotional on the bench. He was pretty quiet, pretty relaxed. And, uh, you know, and I, um, uh, it was just great to, to be a part of, you know, being there with him. Right. And, yeah. and the odd time you would get, Billy Smith would come down as our goalie coach and, you know, you're, you're going after practice and playing tennis with Billy Smith. Right. So it's just uh, fun. (laughs) Now there were a few guys you fought that year. uh, And I only, I only knew one of these guys. Thank you for remembering the other three. Uh, I have you fighting uh, the bird dog, Greg Smith. Uh, Then you remember Jimmy Thompson, uh, your first run in with Mark Potvin and uh, Mike Stevens. So anything, uh, anything jump out about fighting those guys? Well, the Greg Smith one, I, I, I was killing a penalty and I fell and I landed on my hand funny and instantly I knew it hurt and something was wrong. And then of course a little scrum breaks out and, and for some reason I just square off with, you know, Greg Smith, right? The craziest like, guy on the ice. <laughs> you know, and I can't hold, I can't, I can't, I can't hold with my left hand at all. Right. Uh, I didn't know what was wrong, but um, yeah. You know, uh, I can remember watching Greg Smith back as a kid in, yeah. in the OHL, and he obviously had quite a reputation. But, I mean, things like that happen so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it's over before you know it. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, the pod van, you know, just finishing your checks and, and things like that happen. And, uh, you know, I always seem to run in with Mike Stevens, though, always. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure why, but maybe we kind of played the same role, whatever. But uh, I remember fighting Jim Thompson. I didn't know who Jim Thompson was, but, you know, if I can remember... You know, I don't know if I got the better of him or not, but I, I landed on top of him, and I was friends with two guys on the other team, and I guess he just got sent down from L.A., and I talked to my two buddies, and they're like, you better get out of here. Like, he is pissed, <laughs> right? And uh, just thankfully, we never played him again. <laughs> <laughs> now, I didn't know that you you only played the first 10 and the last 10, so you may – well, even if you didn't play this game, you probably were in the building – I was going I was going through the DVD and actually I had asked Graham Townsend this too because obviously he played at that rink in college and I said for a school known for engineering the design of the rink where the visiting team has to come through your bench to go to their locker yeah, room never a good idea probably not the best idea and there was a game against Springfield yeah where uh it was like a line brawl and Brian Chapman gets kicked out of the game and you mentioned him already, and he's one of the guys that we alluded to earlier that has gone on to really good things uh, post-playing time. Chris Pryor, Sarge, uh, basically built the Flyers a couple of years ago. Um, Chris Pryor kind of stands up, nonchalantly stands up, and basically blocks the entrance for Chapman. <laughs> to, he could take a step through the door, but then that's it. And then all chaos ensued on the bench. Now, do you remember that? Were you dressed for it, or were you in the stands? No, I, I was still hurt. Dean and I were on the other side of the arena, Okay, and I, I can vividly remember it. And I'm shocked that a, a whole brawl didn't erupt. I think Jimmy Roberts was holding back his guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, the oh, geez, the RPI Fieldhouse, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was uh, – I don't know if – I think they – I think they changed it after that. <laughs> you pretty much would have to, but uh, yeah, you know, what a terrible setup uh, and, and, and surprise things like that didn't happen more often. And, and you know what, like uh, if you watch a movie like Bull Durham and, and uh, Kevin Costner's character, like the veteran guy, and you said like Sarge was a player assistant coach, it was just such a veteran thing. Like none of you young kids would think to do that. And I don't know if he was trying to fire everyone up, but it was just such a slick move by him. Just get up like he was fixing his pants or something and just stand there. Chapman has nowhere to go. He's got to go into him. And I always laugh when I watch it go. And that's, that is such a veteran move that he did. I just laugh every time I see it. Yeah. No, Sarge was, he was a character and uh, he, and he was tough as nails and, I mean, if you're going to have someone actually play a sergeant, like he wouldn't have to do too much except put the uniform on. That's how he was. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I've watched that video and it's quite comical yeah. and, uh, you know, it, all hell broke loose there for a while. Like yeah. it was, it was chaotic. So I did reach out to some of your former capital district teammates and, uh, one guy who I thanked him actually on my last episode in the beginning, because He's really helped me out a lot with the show with helping me reach out to guys and different things. And that's Dean Chenault, another guy who has done very well for himself post-playing career. And I said, Dino, I got Deuce coming on. Give me something. And he says, ask him about his Elvis costume at the Halloween party. <laughs> so tell me about the Elvis costume. Well, you know, uh, 
the one thing about being pro and playing in the minors is, uh, you know, when it's, uh, when it's, we're going to have a Halloween party, everybody, uh, rented costumes. Right. So I think, uh, Dean and Jeff Finley were living together. So they, they were going to host it that year. And so, uh, you know, we all go out and start looking at costumes and, uh, I just remember coming across this Elvis outfit and uh, it had all the glitter, all the tube, you know, all the shiny stuff on the back and big white bell bottoms, collars up, the cape in the back. And um, I said, I got to wear this. This has got to be it. So, you know, we put it on and I think there was me, Dennis Vasky, Travis Green, and we just, you know, we were just laughing every like they, we, I don't know where we got them, but, they had some great costumes, so I had my wife put paint these uh, big sideburns on my face, and uh, you know I tried to imitate them the whole night. I walked backwards all night and thanking everybody. But yeah, no, those are good times. We've had some good uh, some good memories of uh, Halloween parties. I can tell you that. Another another former teammate and another guy who's done very well after hockey's, uh, you know, uh, roaming around the Western hockey league coaching and everything and working for Kamloops, uh, Dave Chizowski Chizer, who I, I don't care that he's basically my age. He's always a kid. Like I always think of that goofy Dave Chizowski smile, but, uh, I asked him what he remembered about you. And he said, I have an awful memory, but remember he was a fucking awesome teammate. He said, chubby, funny as fuck. Dude always had a little belly on him and sucked in his gut all the time, and he loved doing bench. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think about that? Well, that's that's quite a that's quite a thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we we had we had to suck in our. I mean, I look at a video back there, and I, I'm pretty skinny. Yeah, and I can remember like Sarge getting on me and uh, uh, Dennis Vasky and Brent Grieve, and we'd be like, "Oh my God," you know, like. But yeah, always sucking it in, always <laughs> got to suck it in. And, and, you know, back then training was different, you know, oh, yeah. all we worried about was the bench press, right? So <laughs> we were big on the bench press. He's not lying. That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, also it's, it's not fair. Sarge was, I mean, he was way ahead of everybody in terms of fitness. Uh, you know, like Sarge takes off his shirt, looks in the mirror and he looks like he should be in a magazine and Absolutely. you guys are coming to camp to get in shape and he lives that 365. So it, kind, it, it really isn't a fair comparison. Well, we did a different era back then. Like, yeah. I mean, after practice and stuff, you go for beers and wings and, um, you know, I can remember someone thought it would be a great idea to bring in bagels and cream cheese and everyone <laughs> thought it was fantastic except sarge he called us all fat you know and he yeah. i'm surprised he let them in yeah i i saw am I. I i think i think he showed up and they were all there and i think our, our trainer doogie like he had all these bagels out and thought he was doing a great thing hey eh? and yeah prize wasn't too happy about that <laughs> oh man so we go to the following year. Now, take me through your mindset now, because obviously you you went through your first year pro. You ended up playing the 21 games. Now you're going to your fourth training camp. And is there a point in your career where the thoughts start creeping in? Like, I, And again, this is only your second full year pro. But do the thoughts start creeping in that I, I got to make it at some point? I have to do something here to impress somebody? Or I wouldn't even say second guessing, but does a sense of urgency sort of come in once you've been in with the with the team as long as you had now? Well, I think what I said earlier, it's confidence. So yeah. I'm around half these guys. I've played the whole year. Um, you know, I, I had you know, 
11 goals in 20 games. It's not a bad start. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, so going into my second year was pretty tough because uh, halfway through my first year, my father fell ill. Um, he collapsed and we found out he had brain cancer. So I was dealing with that. And then um, that summer he passed away, he passed away in July, um, you know, which was extremely difficult for me. Yeah. And, and I, I went to camp. And, um, you know, I, I was basically on a mission, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a fantastic camp. I uh, got to play a, a few exhibition games and um, pretty much stayed there with uh, Travis Green and Dennis Vasky almost right up until the end. And uh, so when they sent me down, you know, I just said, you know, hey, I know what I got to do now and I think I can do it. And just being with those guys up there all uh, – through the practices and stuff, you know, you become less and on you you know, you start to realize what you got to do. And, and I can't say enough about Mick Fakoda. He, he would treat us like gold. He would take us out and, uh, you know, we'd be riding in his, uh, Corvette and, uh, just, you know, kind of living it up a little bit through him. And, and he always treated us good. Um, but yeah, um, you know, there's definitely some urgency and, and I think more than anything, some belief that maybe I can do this. Right. And, uh, you know, so I went down my second year and, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I started off okay. And then, and then I, you know, things just slowed down and, uh, you know, you start to play a different role and you're maybe not playing as much. And, um, you know, so you're just, it's tough. Right. And, and, and going through the loss of, with my father, uh, you know, I really struggled with that. It was, yeah. it was hard. Um, you know, and everybody deals with things a different way, but you know, for me, I, I didn't deal with it the best way. And, um, you know, you just try to get through it. Right. And, uh, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of guys now that were getting some opportunities and going up and down and you're starting to see that. And, uh, you know, you're just trying, you're trying to do everything you can. Right. And sometimes it's enough and sometimes it's not enough. Right. So, yeah. Also, well, obviously, even though it was a while ago, obviously, you know, condolences about your dad. I, we talked about it the other day. I know how it affected you. So, uh, but always it's still, it's never easy. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough. I still have both my parents, but I have a lot of people, a lot of friends that don't. And, uh, I always feel for people like you, like I would, I wouldn't know what I would do. And, it, and especially you at your age, I don't know how I would react. So, um, you know, but, uh, obviously, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Yep. No, no problem. But yeah. I mean, like that year I'm looking at the list and, you know, we bring in a guy like Rick Hayward, who was <laughs> a super heavyweight, a super great guy. Um, you know, and, and he came in and instantly, you know, going to Adirondack wasn't so bad. Right. And, um, you know, unfortunately he got hurt. He hurt his back. So he was out for a long time, but, uh, you know, uh, just great, great, uh, memories of some of those guys. And, uh, I remember Hazy thinking that, uh, I met him in training camp and we went out and, and he said, uh, yeah, I'm looking at these stats, and I'm looking at yours from the year before. It looks like we're going to have to have a little go. <laughs> but it never happened, thank yeah. God. Yeah. Um, also that year, uh, Graham Townsend came aboard. Uh, what are your memories yeah. of playing with Graham? Well, Graham is uh, a big, big man. 
we jokingly used to call him Hightower from mm-hmm. the movie Police Academy. And Graham is, is all class. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, very polite, very um, hardworking. I, I had the benefit of rooming with him on the road a lot. And, you know, a lot of people may not know, but before he goes to bed back then, I don't know if he still does it, but he used to do 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups. And, uh, you know, very devoted and, uh, you know, uh, he he grew up in Toronto like me, and uh, so we always had a lot of good stories. And uh, but just a classy guy, just a great human being, and a big man. And, and you know, when he got mad, look out. I think um, once I think Dean Ewan got hurt a little bit that year too, and they brought in another Dean. Do you remember playing with Turbo Dean Trebojevic? Oh, absolutely. Uh, very tough kid from Alaska, and. Um, you know, I, I know he had to take on Jim Cummins uh, one night there, and uh, but Turbo was a he was a character. I mean, um, he would do all these wrestling uh, imitations. So <laughs> he had uh, the Macho Man down pat. So you know, after games we'd be out and uh, we would get him going. Eh? and he was very shy, very quiet. But you know, if you give him a couple beers, he would kind kind of come out of it. But uh, yeah, great uh, great guy. And, and one tough kid for sure. So I reached out to Turbo and asked him what he remembered about you. And uh, he said he just remembers you were just such a fun guy to have on the team and that you love to laugh. Well, that's that's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, it seemed like everybody always ended up back at my place. And, and he was uh, he was always there. And uh, yeah, just just funny, fun times. So I know I've alluded to this with other guests. And so I alluded to you. I'll talk about it with you because you lived through it. Um, I think for anyone that, that wasn't around back then, uh, it would be natural for you to think that uh, Capital District's biggest rival was Binghamton because they were the Rangers team. But the reality is all those upstate New York games, whether it was Binghamton or or playing Utica uh, or Adirondack, they were all wars. But the games against Adirondack, and you've mentioned them a few times, those were just absolute just shit shows absolute gong shows um and the reason why i bring that up now is because uh obviously you were there uh talk about graham townsend and when i had graham on the show we had talked about the incident with him with max middendorf and um when i asked graham about you uh he said the thing he remembers most about you is that uh, i once got two-handed from behind in the face by max middendorf of adirondack as i lay there unconscious max starts hitting me in the face and Wayne was the only guy that came to my aid and started throwing punches at Max. Mark Potvin then spun Deuce around and punched him in the nose and broke his nose. But I'll never forget that because he was literally the only guy in the ice who came to help me out. He's an incredible teammate. So that's really good to hear, especially from someone with the character of Graham, I would imagine. And could you take me through that whole incident? Well, I mean, Adirondack had a tough team. Like you, you just have to look at their list and, and they, they had five or six guys that were heavyweights and they were a good team. Um, you know, playing against Max Middendorf, like I, I, I played with him, so yeah. I knew him and I, I don't know what happened and I don't know what started it. Um, but I just saw the corner out of my eye, you know, Max taking a swing at him with a stick and hitting him like right across the face. Um, you know, shockingly, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I mean, I, my perception of what happened and, you know, many years later seeing the video of it mm. was a little different the way I thought it happened and what 
actually transpired. But um, I just remember being in shock and not sure what the hell's going on. And I kind of, you know, I, I went in there on, on Max just because, well, A, it shouldn't have happened, but like someone had to do something, right? But right. I was, you know, by the time Mark Potvan grabbed me off off of him, I think I was in shock too of what just happened. Yeah. Um, it was just a reaction for me to try to stop it. But, um, you know, unfortunately for me, um, I wasn't 100% prepared to get spun around and take one from Potvan. But, you know, all I remember after that was, uh, you know, being on the ice and trying to get off the ice and, and you know, just having a hard time getting up because I was uh, pretty dazed from it. But, uh, you know, it, it was an ugly incident that happened. And I'm sure that, you know, Max is a stand-up guy. And yes. I'm sure he's apologized for that years later. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately things do happen in the heat of the moment and I'm sure everybody wished that didn't happen that day. But, uh, you know, I was just trying to, uh, look out for my teammate. Right. And, uh, and I would hope that those guys would do the same for me. Well, when I spoke to Graham about that incident and then there was a subsequent incident with Gord Krupke, um, the way I can't say enough how much respect I have for that guy because of the way he handled it. Graham is, like you say, he's a big man. You don't want to make him angry. Graham is an old school guy. And especially in today's day and age where everyone wants to make a big deal out of everything. Graham wanted to handle things like a man one-on-one, -on -one, confront the people that did stuff to him, and then it was over. And I'll never forget, like people that remember the incident with him and Krupke, um, I'll never forget. I'll never forget hearing about it. But when, when I was talking to Graham and he told me when he was with Houston and Houston was thinking about getting Gord Krupke but they had obviously they knew what had happened and they asked Graham what do you think and Graham's like you got to get him like he's a, he's a good defenseman he's he's physical whatever absolutely no problem and you know I think the thing about Graham is Graham is a guy you know he he forgives and I know him and Krupke talk I believe him and Max talk and I think it really says a lot about Graham and I think a lot of people could really take uh, a lesson from the way Graham handles things I know I would like to think if I was in his situation and I can't put myself in that situation, obviously, but I would like to think if I was in that situation, I would handle it the same way. I think Graham is a great example for a lot of people. Absolutely. It, you know, it was another incident that was pretty ugly. And yeah. if I can remember, uh, <clears throat> I think Graham after the game headed over to the other, to Adirondacks dressing room. Yep. Right. And, uh, I think a couple of, I think me and, uh, if I remember, Rick Hayward were trying to, I don't know exactly what happened, but I remember, you know, he tried to get into the room and I think those guys were even shocked, right? Yeah. And I think cooler cooler heads prevailed and, yeah. you know, um, it was out of line what happened. And, and I think, you know, Graham being over there too knew, you know, he could get into trouble by trying yeah. to get into the room, right? But, yeah. um you know, uh, you know, just just a class move by another class guy, right? With Graham, like, you know, forgive, forget, like, you know, they talked it out after years later, and um, and you move on, and and like you said, with this cancel culture today that's out there, you know, I've always said if you're going to start canceling people, we all have to look in the mirror at ourselves and make sure that you know we're pretty squeaky clean. Yep, absolutely. Um... We move on to your fifth year. Now, this year, I mean, your year in Capital District, 72 games, 
So you you had to be relatively healthy, either that or you had little nicks and bru- easy for me to say, little nicks and bruises. <laughs> uh, but 72 games, 27 points, 155 minutes. So this is, uh, you know, I guess, well, and you played 60 games a year before. So now this is really two seasons in a row where you kind of play, rel- you know, relatively healthy, let's say. Um, third on the team in penalty minutes. I see this year you did fight. Uh, the only two fights I know you had this year uh, were Gord Krupke. Uh, the aforementioned Gord Krupke, and uh, another guy with the nickname of Chief Scott Daniels from Springfield. Do you remember those fights? I, I definitely remember Krupke, and as I watch the videos, I'm thinking this guy does not like me at all. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, that year, you know, I, I played a lot with Rich Crom and uh, played a check and roll, playing against their top other team's top lines, and uh, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, <clears throat> Scott Daniels was a was a big big kid from mm-hmm. Springfield, right? And yep. uh, you know, like I said, a lot of these, a lot of my fights were results of uh, finishing my checks, and he probably did come over and and just wanted to take liberties with me. And you know, I I just did what I had to do. Um, the Krupke, you know, uh, you know, as I watch a lot of this stuff on videos and stuff, yeah, I, I really don't think he liked me, but you know. <laughs> You know, if you, when you go hard to the net, these things happen, and uh, and that's as far as I can tell, that's just part of the game. Yeah, I mean, you play a physical style. He's a physical defenseman. You're on teams that hate each other. It's bound to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, here's something you may not know. Did you know that you are third all time in penalty minutes uh, in the entire history of Capital District Islanders? No, I did not know that, and I was, I'd be surprised because I only played 20 games that first year. Well, how's this? Dean Chenault, all-time leader, 537. I mean, the first two guys are easy to guess. It's it's Dino and Chevy. Chevy yeah. had 426, and then your third with 364 minutes. Well, did not know that. How That's about that? Interesting set. Look at that. You got the bronze medal. <laughs> just imagine if you if you would have played more games that first year, you'd definitely be pushing Chevy. I don't know if you're catching Dino, but uh, you're definitely pushing Chevy for second. I did not know that. That is uh, that's interesting. Look at that. <laughs> All right. So now, the, the sixth training camp and your last training camp with the Islanders, I, I found interesting for a few reasons because the first five that you went to. It was a lot of the same players every year you're going in. The guys from the minors are pretty much the same. The guys up at the NHL level are, are the same. And this year, more than any of the other years, it seemed like there was a little bit of turnover. So uh, Islanders brought in, you know, Mick is still there. Dean Chenault is still there. Uh, Chizer's still there. Richie Pilon's still there. Chevy's still there. But now the Islanders bring in uh, Darius Kasparitis. Uh, Steve Thomas was acquired the year before. You're in training camp. This guy like Bob McGill is there. Uh, Ron Hextall's now the goalie. Uh, the kids like Bertuzzi, McCabe, uh, they're there. And then they brought in some kids. I don't know if you remember. Uh, Peter Le Boutillier was a draft pick. A uh, kid from the Quebec League, Stéphane Larocque, was there. Darren Van Amp. And then they brought in some veterans like Rick Lassard and Perry Anderson. You remember all these guys? Uh, I definitely remember Bob McGill because I went after uh... – Oh my God! He was an American defenseman, uh, Lachance Scott Lachance, and Bob McGill came in, and 
I was like, oh, oh, you know, and uh, <laughs> and I just remember saying, I got nothing with you. And he goes, well, if you want him, you got to come through me. So it was like, okay, uh, just forget that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but I remember Stefan LaRock because he was Bunny LaRock's son. And I remember he, he hurt his knee. And uh, I remember one night we all went out and uh, he was in crutches. And next thing you know, he's dancing up a storm and all you can see is his crutches up in the air. Uh, I did not know Peter Laviolette. That's uh, that was interesting to hear. Um, and, you know, yeah, you think of these guys like Bertuzzi and, and stuff like that. Uh, but what I remember from that year was um, it was pretty evident at training camp that uh, I, I don't think I was, uh, I was on my, definitely on my way to uh, Salt Lake city. And, um, you know, they had uh, Zygmunt Palfi coming in. And I remember the first camp or two, you know, everybody was so high on this guy. And he'd show up and he'd be like in jeans and dress shoes. And to me, he looked like Angus Young of ACDC. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this kid? Yeah. And he, and to be quite honest, he didn't want to be there. Yeah. And we were kind of like, you know, well, then you should go home. Uh and then, you know, lo and behold, he comes down to Salt Lake City and then you start to get a taste of what this kid is really about. And, uh, you know, you think of uh, Chris Taylor and guys like that. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a new journey going out to Salt Lake City and playing for Dave Farish and, uh, you know, playing in the IHL. Like, you know, in the old American League, you got some pretty tough towns and then you go to Salt Lake City and we're in our division. We have San Diego, Phoenix. Uh, Las Vegas, like, you know, what, you know, it was like we, we died and went to heaven. It was, uh, it was just strange, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good opportunity. And what was that like when you go down to the IHL? I mean, you're, you're in the IHL all this time, you're riding buses. Uh, now you're in the IHL, the, the, you're in bigger cities spread apart. You're taking airplanes. Uh, was that something that you welcomed after all the years on the buses? Oh, you want to believe it. We're like, what were we doing? <laughs> you know, so yeah, I can remember like going to San Diego for the first time and I saw palm trees around a, an arena. Yeah. I've never seen it before, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, I can remember the, in, uh, we played in Vegas and um, uh, I don't know what happened, but I think they got mad at us. So they said, okay, well, we're going to bust a Las Vegas. Like, you know, it was a yeah. big you know, kicking the teeth for us. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, like we're driving through the, the grand Canyon and we're like having a blast. Everyone's got their cameras out going, this is unbelievable. Right. <laughs> and uh, it was just, you know, I can remember we, we played uh, some of the first games in Vegas, um, you know, and I mean, Hey, we're in Las Vegas and we're playing hockey, right? Like yeah. it was just crazy. It was, it was very exciting. And did we welcome it? Absolutely. It was a, it was way better than being in Binghamton, New York in the middle of February. <laughs> yeah, I bet. A um, couple of guys that you fought down there uh, with Salt Lake, uh, Steve Jakes of Vegas and uh, Mike Coleman of Kansas City. Do you remember those scraps? Yeah, I remember Steve. Uh, I remember Steve Jakes. Um, he wasn't a big guy, but he, yeah. he was He was very tough. And, uh, yeah, I fought him in, uh, in Las Vegas. And, uh, yeah, you know, like the thing about switching leagues is we didn't really know anybody. Right. So it was kind of like you didn't know who was who, and um, and he was a he was a great fighter. So yeah. I mean, yeah, I I didn't really realize it. So it took me a little second to get myself going. And with Mike Coleman, um, 
I remember I hurt my shoulder. I separated my shoulder in that fight. And uh, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great, great league, that old IHL. It was fantastic. It was unbelievable. So I just kind of set you up with this. Did you like going to the IHL and you're telling me all these great stories about the Grand Canyon in San Diego? And now all of a sudden, <laughs> the Islanders loan you to Moncton, New Brunswick. So what happened there? Well, I wasn't playing in uh, in Salt Lake City, so I asked Dave Farish, "What's going on? What can I do to you know get in the lineup?" And he he told me that it wasn't him; it was New York. So mm-hmm. I called Darcy Regeer, and I said, "You know what's going on?" And he says, "Well, they have full control." Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Okay, well, when are you coming to Salt Lake City?" And he's like, "I'll be there in a week." I said, "I'd like to have a meeting." So I had a meeting with Dave Farish, uh, Darcy Regeer, and Chris Pryor. And, um, you know, all I could say was uh, Darcy Regeer was all class. Mm -hmm. He was 100% honest with me. Some of the things he didn't have to say, but I already knew it. And uh, and, uh, I just, the end end of the story was I had some accountability of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And some of it, there was nothing I could do about it, right? And, and, um, you know, like you got to remember every year, you know, you're saying this is my fifth, sixth year. Every year, there's there's still 12 new guys minimum coming in, you know, and the, then you have your free agents. So, um, you know, the, as time goes by, if you're not pulling on the strings on the big team, you know, you're, you're getting farther down the line. Right. And yeah. all I asked them was, hey, you know what? For four years, I, I feel that I've gone through the wall for you guys and I've tried everything I can do. You know, I'll take some responsibility. Obviously, my my uh, my goal output wasn't uh, probably where it should be, but um, you know, playing a defensive role was that was that that comes with it, right? Mm-hmm. But all I asked Darcy was, I said, you know, out of respect, can you let me go somewhere else and and try? Because I was coming to the end of my contract, and Darcy was one hundred percent. He says, absolutely, I will give you that opportunity. And I appreciate everything you've done for us. He said, go home and pack. So I went home and I packed. And my wife said, where are we going? I said, it could be anywhere from San Diego to Newfoundland. <laughs> and I got a call. They said they were going to send me to, to Moncton, New Brunswick. Now, my family is from the Maritimes. So uh, it was actually, it was I was okay with it. Yeah. Um, Moncton was in last place. I can remember calling uh, Rob Laird, the coach, mm-hmm. and... Um, he, he said, I hear you hit like a truck. I need guys like you. Winnipeg at the time had a lot of uh, European imports. Oh, yeah, the European invasion. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just said, if you promise me you're going to f- hit all night long, he says, you're going to play all night long. So I said, I can do that. And, you know, but the big thing I noticed about Rob was he said, can you get here? How fast can you get here? And I said, well, I have my wife in my car. And he was like, take your time and be safe. So, yeah. We drove across the country to uh, to Moncton, and and I remember getting into the arena, and uh, Kevin McClellan is is pretty much roughing up somebody on on our team, like a couple European guys, and I was thinking like, whoa, what is happening here? Like, uh, you know, and and right away, uh, you know, Rob was was good to me, and uh, you know, he even said, hey, it's going to take you a week to get your legs back. You just drove right across the country. Just do what you got to do. And, you know, I often, uh, you know, the thing about Rob was, you know, 
I, I would say the difference between Rob Laird and Butch Goring was if I went out there and, and I fought somebody that I really had no business fighting, um, Rob Laird would be so pumped up mm-hmm. that, you know, you just did that, right? Whereas, you know, Butch probably respected it, mm-hmm. but he didn't say he didn't say much, right? So it was hard. So you, I got a I got a huge reaction from Rob Laird right away. And, uh, you know, and I just felt, uh, I felt that was in the right place with him. He gave me a lot of opportunity and, uh, you know, we went from last place and we ended up losing game six of the Calder cup finals, wow. you know, so we, we turned it around big time. Right. So it was, it was great to be part of that ride. So there are a few players I want to ask you about uh, with Moncton. One guy is a guy I'm sure you battled with uh, a lot over the years before you played with him in Moncton, and that's Rob Murray. Rob Murray, like yeah. you want to talk about a warrior. Yeah. Uh, you know, I obviously played against him, and, uh, you know, a lot of penalty minutes, never backed down. And, and when, I, when I got the privilege of playing with him, like this guy is a beast. Yeah. Um, every face-off is life or death. This guy went to war every night. Um, when I think of uh, what some guys look like after that Game 6 final, um, the fact that Rob Murray could still stand up was just, you know, crazy. Uh, an absolute warrior and a great team captain. And he's gone on to a great career in coaching. Not a surprise. No, definitely not. Uh, another player that you played with that's gone on to a career in law enforcement in Saskatchewan was Frank Kovacs. What do you remember about yeah, Frank? Yeah. yeah, Frank was uh, a big kid, tough. Uh, but you know, we, you know, one of those guys who was who was very tough, mm-hmm. but off the ice, like as gentle as can be. You know, I remember, you know, guys like Dennis Vial, like off the ice, you would never think they were these kind of guys on the ice and, and Frank was a hard worker. He was in excellent shape. He, uh, he took on all comers and, uh, very polite and, uh, you know, just a classy guy. And, uh, you know, but when he got on the ice, he did what he had to do and, uh, he was a great teammate. Well, Deuce, this will be the last entry of This Is Your Life with Wayne Doucette. I reached out to Frank <laughs> Kovacs, asked him what he remembered about playing with you, and uh, he said, I only played with Deuce in Moncton. I forget how he got there, but I just remember him being a great guy and a great supportive teammate to everyone. I just met with my coach from that year last week, and we were talking about that team, and he felt the same way I did about the Deuce. So there you yeah. go. Well, that's 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 very nice. I mean, it was uh, it was – it was a great year of hockey for me. Like I was, I got there in December, and like I said, I was nervous going there because you know, I, being being on loan uh, is not the perfect scenario. But we got there, and there was a there was a bunch of guys like me, and um, you know, we just did well. And I don't think they expected it. Um, and you know, having guys like our coach was uh, was Rob Laird, but our assistant coach was Charlie Bourgeois, like mm-hmm. a, a really tough guy. Yeah. And then we had Kevin McClellan also, who they had fought numerous times, right? And mm-hmm. Kevin, uh, Big Mac there, he's he's quite a character. And uh, um, he would bring in pictures of him and Charlie fighting, and we'd be <laughs> laughing. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, Kevin McClellan was, uh, he was in pretty bad shape when I was there. Like, his knees, his shoulders, like, you know, physically he was, uh, he, he was in, t- in rough shape, but... I mean, there's a guy, I, I watch these fights, and uh, 
you know, back in the day, I mean, he took on everybody and, oh, yeah. and didn't lose too many, you know, and uh, his presence being there was, was great. Um, you know, he four-time Stanley Cup champion, right? So. So we talked about Jason Simon earlier and you talked about it being the Canadian dream that he made it all the way to the NHL. Well, probably an even more unlikely story about a guy making it to pro hockey and making it one level below the NHL. Now you didn't play in this game, but I asked you if you remember Doug the Thug Smith, the inspiration to the movie Goon, and I believe you said you were in the stands the night that he played Moncton and ended up fighting one of the baddest dudes in the league, Frank Bialois. Uh What do you remember about Doug Smith and the whole thing about him being with Moncton? Well, you know, I remember uh, myself and Kevin McClellan were suspended, and I do not know what happened or how this ever transpired because it really doesn't make sense. But um, what they did was they, uh, I, remember, I think it was Todd Copeland said, we should call up my buddy, he plays in the senior league. He's a, or a cop. I think he was a cop. And yep. uh, he's a tough guy, you know. And so somehow we, we bring Doug Smith up, right? And um, I don't really know who he is. Yeah. And, uh but you know, very polite, very heavy Boston accent. So you know, he was he was a character, and right away he's like, "Well, who's tough on St. John's Newfoundland?" And I said, "Well, by a Lois." He's like, "Okay, well, I'm going to give him a go tonight." And I'm like, "Well, wait, whoa, like you know, <laughs> you might, <laughs> you better be ready because like he's going to knock. He tries to knock guys' heads off. So Kevin and I are McClellan and I are up in the stands watching, and and uh, you know bless him he's out there going after frankie and frankie's just skating away like who are you and then finally frankie said all right that's enough and i take my hat off to to doug he uh he took he squared right off with him and and you know like not many guys want to do that with frankie the animal but um you know he took a couple good punches and by the time we got down into the dressing room his eye was completely shut yep and uh he couldn't see <laughs> so he never got another shift but after the game uh, rob laird came up and you know rob being that kind of a guy was like you know geez i'm really sorry uh is there anything we can do for you and he just said i just want the shirt yep so rob laird's like yep and then i remember he went to the trainer he just said you gotta wash it first but, <laughs> yeah and then you know years later i i can i, can, I heard about this doug smith and then uh you know, maybe a movie and all this. And, and, and to see it all come to fruition is pretty funny. And actually at the end of that video, after all, after the movie, after all the credits, he, there is footage of him uh, coming off the ice in Moncton. Yep. Yeah. That, that, uh, that was his friend, his friend, Adam went yeah. up there and like you talk about his eye and he looked up, Adam took a picture of him in the runway with his eye like that. And that's the, that was the cover of his book. Yeah, I so, saw that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty funny. I think my favorite, uh, you know, like Doug, it, first of all, he still has that accent. It hasn't lessened <laughs> at all. He still has the same Boston accent. And um, I, I love when he tells the story because then he got another chance to play a few games with Springfield and he played against Dennis Bonvey and he knew who Dennis Bonvey was. And, they're, you know, in the warm up, uh, I think this is how the story goes. They're stretching and he, he knew Bonvey and he just starts stretching next to Bonvey and he goes, uh, Hey, who's the tough guy on this team? And he just said, Bonvi's <laughs> looking at him like, what? He goes, I am or whatever. And it was just great because, you know, I, I got to know Dennis Bonvi a little bit when he played. And I will say 
He doesn't lack for confidence. So when this kid comes up to him and says, who's the tough guy on this team? He had to be like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, geez, they're talking about another tough guy there too. Um, yeah. I mean, you know what, if you don't know, you don't know, but I mean, Doug, there, that just shows you that, uh, he wasn't afraid of anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the thing I respect, the cool thing about that is, and I actually sent him a message maybe a year ago. I don't know why. I just thought about his story. It was probably during all the COVID stuff and like everything was kind of dark and depressing. And I just thought of the whole story and his story about how everything went down. And I was like, that is such a cool story. Like, you know, was he ever going to play in the NHL? Probably not. But, you know, he just loved the game. He loved to fight. And he was one step away from the NHL like it's just such an unlikely story and I think whatever I was feeling that day maybe I was just pissed off about COVID and everything and I just thought of Doug's story and I'm like you know what that's fucking awesome and and I sent him a note I'm like dude I know you know like he does a lot of stuff now with with in in uh, Massachusetts with the police and everything and obviously people know him now a little bit more than they did with the book and the movie and I'm like I don't know what kind of notes you get but I just want to tell you like your story is so inspirational like I I just love that story well I mean it, it, like I said about Jason Simon it's the Canadian dream right and yeah. I mean he made no bones about it like he was a fighter and that's how, that's was his role and he welcomed it and I mean uh you know, something I've learned over my time playing hockey was, you know, it takes a special kind of guy to, to stand up nose to nose with these guys every night. And in my time, I've seen some guys do it every single night. And, uh, you know, not many people can do that job. It's it's a tough role. Uh, speaking of Dennis Bonvey, uh, you had two fights with him this year in Moncton. One of them is on video and one of them isn't. So can you kind of fill me in on what happened with the one that isn't on video? Well, of course I beat him really bad. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, what happened? We've actually, were playing in Cape Breton and, uh, um, yeah, you know, just finishing my checks and he didn't like it. And, and we went at it and, uh, and I would say it was a pretty even fight. Right. And funny thing was my little cousins were sitting behind the glass where it happened. So we each got thrown out of the game. And I remember I showered and I went and saw my cousins and they were just like, uh, holy smokes, you just fought Dennis Bond, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, you know. Um, you know, but I, I would say at that time, uh, Dennis, I think he was a rookie that year. I mean, he was certainly tough as nails, fought yeah. everybody, you know, but I watched some of these fights he had with, like, Vanden Bush down, years oh, yeah. down the way, and it's mm-hmm. like, holy smokes, yep. right? But, um, you know, just come, you know, surviving that fight and, and feeling very, you know, not afraid of him. Yeah. Um, definitely the next night I, I, I pretty much, I kind of jumped him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I got spun around and he got on top of me and, you know, things happen. Right. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's just kind of what I tried to do. I, I played my role and, and I mean, as I got older in the league and more experience, I, I felt more comfortable and, and I probably got a little smarter, uh, fighting. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, over the years, you learn what you got to do and how to how to do it and how to protect yourself. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, I wasn't afraid of them. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's funny, like now the guys at work, sometimes they see these videos and they're like, oh, who's this Bonvi guy? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but look him up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> look, exactly. Look at his stats, right? And mm-hmm. uh, 
So they're like, holy smokes. But, uh, you know, there's another guy that's gone on well for his life. You know, he's, he's a scout now. And, yep. and uh, you know, it's just good that to, to see everybody's doing okay. Uh, and P.S., by the way, uh, in case you're wondering, yes, you fought Mike Stevens again that year. So uh, yep. I got to get in touch with that guy and find out what the what the story is with that. But uh, but you did fight Mike again. But Bonvi is the biggest name that year that you fought. Um, the following year, so now you're a free agent. And you ended up uh, with the London Wildcats of the Colonial League. So uh, how did you end up in the Colonial League and how did you end up in London? Well, what happened was the end of that year was the end of my contract with New York. And I remember going into the office with Rob Laird and he just said, Wayne, I love you. You had a great year. You're a big part of this team. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is good. And he says, but uh, next year, Winnipeg's not going to have a farm team. And you're like, what? You know, he says, yeah, they're going to, they're just going to get like 10 guys. So they're going to just spread them out. Yeah. And uh, so you know, there goes an opportunity, right? And then it was the NHL strike. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, my situation couldn't have been the worst timing whatsoever. Um, So, you know, I had a whole bunch of offers to come to camp. Um, And, you know, after being, you know, playing four years, I I don't think I was out of line to to want a contract before I go. Absolutely. And, and, And guys were, you know, the many teams I spoke with, they agreed, but they just said, we don't know what's happening. We don't understand because it was the first time it happened. Nobody yeah. knew what was going to go on. Um, so that opportunity, you know, I got, I got a multiple opportunities to just come to camp, right. you know, now hindsight, you know, as 30 years go by, um, maybe I should have done that. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't, or at the time I was just sitting at home waiting to see what would happen. And Kent Hawley was uh he was a player coach for the London Wildcats and um, he lived in the same town as my wife in Kingston where I was. And uh, he kept saying like, you want to come play in London? And I said, that's the last place I want to play. Like, <laughs> you know, I just came off the Calder cup final. And uh, so he said, let us just come to the house. So they came to the house, him and the, uh, the owner. And they said, what will it take for you to play with us? So I said, I want this much money. I want you to pay for my school. Uh, and as I was saying stuff, they were just writing it down in the contract. Yeah. And then I said, I want to no trade, blah, 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 blah. And they said, sure, anything else you need? <laughs> and I was just like, I, I, I remember looking at my wife and just kind of chuckling. I said, yeah. I can't think of anything. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did it, right? And, you know, with that team there, um, you know, we had guys like Kent Hawley, Trevor Dam, myself, Paul Holden, um, you know, Lou Franciscetti. Um, we had uh, Jack Thornton, uh, uh, Scott Thornton's brother, would be Joe's cousin. So, you know, there was a lot of guys like myself that were kind of winding down, looking to play another year. And uh, so, you know what, off to London we went. And, um, you know, all I could say about those early years of the Colonial League, it was a lot like Slapshot. <laughs> Um, it was interesting. It was entertaining. We had a lot of fun. Uh, and there was a lot of tough guys, you know, and, uh, yeah, you know, I think of like the Andy Bezo and, uh, God, you think of some of these other, like, you know, there was Jacques Mallott, Richie Walcott, Bruce Ramsey, Mel Engelstad, Kevin Kerr, like, 
Deuce, let me let me throw some numbers at you, okay? Because while you were talking, I went to the penalty minute leaders that year, okay? So this is the year you played in London. You got Andy Bezo leads the league in PIMS with 542. Uh, Bruce Ramsey, <laughs> you figure any time a guy gets 462 penalty minutes, he's going to lead the league, right? No, nope. he's, he's 80 penalty minutes behind Bezo. Uh, Mel Angelstad is fourth in penalty minutes. Richie Walcott is fifth. Jacques Mayotte is sixth. Kevin Kerr is seventh. Gary Goulash is tenth. I mean, these are some some heavy hitters down there. So did you find yourself uh, mixed up with any of these guys, or did you leave that to uh, Jason Taylor? Well, we uh, like a, our team, we didn't have really any yeah, I would say we didn't have many fighters. Like I, I definitely went down there and I was trying to get out of there. So yeah. my, in my eyes, I was trying to, to score and get some points and get things going. But I vividly remember, uh, Bezo cause I didn't really know who he was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you don't, it doesn't take long to find out who he is. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and then, you know, I think of the times we would go up to Thunder Bay, and I remember we went up there one time, and uh, we, uh, our whole team got food poisoning. Oh, shit. Uh, so we lost about – we played the game with, like, 12 guys. Oh, wow. So we got out there, and, I mean, these guys were just licking their chops at us, right? And and I remember every time the whistle blew, they would try to five-on-five five us. And uh, we didn't have enough guys, right? Like, it was just – if somebody fought, like, we were <laughs> – our goalie was throwing up in the net oh, and I, I remember going to their bench in Thunder Bay. And of course the fans think I'm challenging their bench, but I'm pretty much telling them like, Hey, I'm pretty sure you're going to win the game guys. Like just <laughs> let us play. Like, you know, we can't, you know, and I ended up calling the game. I was captain. Yeah. So I remember like saying to our coach, like, we can't do this. Like, this is crazy. So I think it was like the second period we had to forfeit the game. Like, we only like like I said, our goalie was throwing up in the net, but um, I did get into it with Kevin Kerr. Like I took a I took a slap shot in the face, and uh, I ended up breaking my cheekbone, sinus bone, orbital bone, broke everything. Oh, wow. uh, it was pretty ugly, but uh, I had to wear a I had to wear a visor after that. So uh, again, I was pretty ginger, but I mean, I, I remember with Kevin Kerr, we play them a lot, and I would just, I would just play him like I would play anybody else, right? And uh, um, you know, he didn't like that sometimes, right? And I mean, he was, he could be vicious, right, with his stick, oh, yeah. and, and and he got, he got like that a few times. But uh, you know, our our tough guy was pretty much. We brought in a guy, Jason Taylor, and uh, he took on everybody. And hats off to him; he's a great guy. And, uh, but there were some interesting times, you know, having Lou Francis Getty there was quite interesting. Uh, if I can share one story, he, uh, please, he was a hairy guy, you know, <laughs> I guess with the name Francis Getty, it's not a shock. He, nope. uh, but we were playing in Thunder Bay and I don't know what happened again. This is like slap shot. We don't have a hotel. <laughs> so we drive all night, you know, it's 18, 20 hours and, uh, they don't have a hotel for us, so they they put uh, twenty five beds in a banquet room. Oh my god! So, you know, you can only imagine some of the shenanigans that were going on, and we were, you know, guys were having uh, races across the beds. And uh, anyways, Lou Franceschetti went out, you know, after the game. I don't know, and he came late. He was going to come back late, so we took all that sticky spray and we sprayed his whole bed. 
<laughs> like in the sheets, right? And you know, it was just like uh, kids at a camp. You know, you got twenty guys like hiding under their bed sheets with the lights off, giggling, waiting for him to come back. And he got in there, and you know, the rest is history. He was he was stuck to the bed. And we had to get him out and pull the sheets off, and we're. It was like the that forty year old virgin pulling the hair right off his chest. And, um, but uh, yeah, it was quite a year. A lot of funny stories. Well, I was definitely going to ask you about Lou. I am uh, I'm very proud of my Italian heritage, and I always try to tout <laughs> the Italian players. And just just for the folks listening, if you're if you're too young to know anything about Lou Franceschetti, so this was his last season that he played. He split the season between London. Uh, the IHL, he played a few games in Minnesota, and he played uh, – oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. His final year was the following season, played 18 games in Nashville. But Lou started his junior career in the OHA. Now, this season that we're talking about, 1994-95, his first line on hockey DB is St. Catharines, 1975 and 76. So there's a hockey lifer for you, a guy I definitely could get behind. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a, a machine. He was in such good shape, um, you know, strong as an ox. Uh, you know, sometimes we question, like, oh, my God, Lou, you should retire, right? Like, you know, but he, he loved the game. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those years where you could write a book on all the stuff that happened. It, it was quite comical and um you know, but like, like I said, a lot of us were just trying to get another year out of it. And, you know, in hindsight, I, I wish I, I could have done a few things differently, but, um, you know what, it, it was a fun year. And you know what, uh, like I said before, certain things happen in life sometimes. And, you know, I, I've made London my home and, and we've been here ever since. Well, after the playoffs that year with London, uh, you got a call from, I'm guessing maybe your favorite coach that you ever played for, definitely one of them, Robbie Laird, who we talked about from Moncton, is now the head coach in Phoenix. So how did you end up playing four games for the Roadrunners after the playoffs in London? Well, like I said, I, during the year, I should have been trying to get out, but mm -hmm. I, I wasn't thinking that way, and uh, I wasn't really happy with the game. And, uh, you know, but I stuck it out for the whole year. And then at the end of the year, we were playing Muskegon in the playoffs, and Muskegon was an affiliate of uh, Phoenix. And so I guess they tried to call up a few guys, I'm going to guess, like, you know, Brett Sagan or something. And those guys were just like, yeah, I don't want to go. You know, like, it's too much of a flight to go all the way there and come right back, you know. And so they said, he said, who are you playing? He said, we're playing London. And he's like, who, you know, who's good in London? And he mentioned my name, I guess. And, and Rob told me he hung up the phone. He didn't know where I was. Mm. Um, so he called me. He's like, you want to come? I said, absolutely. Um, so I went down there and, uh, you know, then there's like Ken McRae, uh, Brian Chapman, a lot of guys there. And um, I remember I had all my winter clothes from being in Muskegon, Michigan, and then arriving in Phoenix and it's like 95 degrees. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my, I got to buy some clothes here. Um <laughs> But you know what, Rob brought me in basically of uh, you know because of my role the year before in Moncton. Um, he really respected what I did, and then I, I showed up all the time, and uh, you know just try to be a good team guy. And you know it was actually kind of awkward because we we played a couple games, and then we went into the playoffs, and in his like team speech, he kept bringing me up. 
saying like this guy last year, like, you know, da, 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 da. And I, I was almost embarrassed thinking like, Oh my God, like don't say anything about me. Right. Um, but you know, like I said earlier, the times change, right now, LA doesn't make the playoffs. They're sending guys down. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember Rob called me in and he's like, I, I want to keep you, but I just can't. They're bring they're sending too many guys down from, from Los Angeles. And, you know, at that time I, I made a decision. I said, well, you know what, it's okay, Rob, it's, you know, and I just said, I appreciate all you've done for me, and I said, but I, I think I'm going to call her, call her, call her a career, mm-hmm. and I remember him saying, oh, no, don't do that, and I said, well, I, you know what, it's time, and, um, you know, and uh, he asked me what I was going to do, and I said, well, I'm probably going to grab a case of beer, and I'm going to go back to the hotel, sit by the pool, and he goes, okay, you can stay another four days if you want. I'll keep you here, and you know what? He came up with me, and um, he had a couple beers with me, and you know, just a classy guy, and, um, you know, uh, Kevin uh, McRae, you know, all the guys were there, so it was, you know, it was, uh, it was a nice send-off for me, and um, you know, but 30 years later, things could have been different. I, yeah. I could have made a couple different choices, but, uh, you know, I look at a guy like, uh, Dan Bilesma, who was kind yeah. of in the same boat as me. And, you know, he went on to, uh, <laughs> quite a career and then a coaching career and, uh, you know, nothing but class for that guy and a hard worker. And, uh, you know, but you always, uh, in the back of my mind, you always think, what if, what if, and, uh, you know what, I don't know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, today I, I, I'm happy. I've been married almost 30 years and I got two great kids. You know, they're, we're putting them through university and, and life is good. And, and the, the tough part about uh, being in hockey is uh, there is life after hockey and, and not a, very few guys get to make it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my decision at the time, you know, with the loss of my father, uh, I struggled with, uh, I was struggling hard with a lot of things at that time. And, um, I just thought, you know what, I got to move on, you know, and, uh, I had an opportunity to go to Europe and, uh, but I also had an opportunity to start an apprenticeship as an electrician. So, you know, I scratched my head really hard over that and, uh, I chose the electrician, right? So I'm still doing that today. And you know what, like I said, life is life is good today and and hockey has given me everything i have today absolutely i've learned so much about being a part of a team and what it takes to uh, to make it and and the toughness and um you know so i'm i'm grateful well that is uh, a tremendous way to wrap up wrap this up put a bow on it and everything that was uh, <laughs> phenomenal so uh you know what my last question is to everybody uh again thank you for listening to the show and uh so you know the last question is uh i did my best to to do the deep dive into the wayne Doucette career is there anything i left out or i forgot that you'd like to say well i don't think you left anything out i just like to i like to thank you because um you know, I love, I love, uh, geez, I don't want to say the competition, but I, I, I enjoy spitting chiclets mm-hmm. and I came across your podcast and you know what? I love li- li- listening to the Mick Fakotas and stories like that, but you know, you're somebody that, you know, does a lot for the guys in the minor leagues and, and maybe a lot of the guys that 
nobody knows. And uh, you know what? So I, I've truly enjoyed listening to uh, a lot of my old teammates' stories and, and, and that. So I'm just uh, I'm very grateful. It's been 30 years. And, uh, you know, for me, this has been, uh, this has been very fun and, and I appreciate you reaching out to some of my former teammates and it's really nice to hear from, uh, hear from guys and with Facebook and this stuff, you know, I've been able to contact a lot of people and like I said, everybody's doing pretty good and, and that's all you can really ask for. So I'm, I'm grateful for you, Joe, and for your fans, if you're looking for a tough guy, Look up Joe's story. (laughs) You're, uh, you know, you've got quite a story, and it's uh, a great example of uh, what you have to do when you have to do it, right? And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's unbelievable what you went through. So I have a lot of respect for you doing what you did. You saved a lot of people on that uh, subway that day. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I never – well, first of all, uh, I don't, <laughs> I like how you call spitting chicklets my competition. Cause, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think Bissonette's looking in his rear view mirror and seeing me, but I appreciate that. Um, second, uh, it, it's a thrill for me to have you guys on the show. Um, you know, I always say like the amount of people that I've met through hockey and that I still keep in touch with through hockey. Like I, I, I think about it. And really what I could do is just go to Dean Ewan's Hockey DB and go year by year and just see the people that I met because of him, you know. And like you talk about things that you would do differently. And I know one thing I would do differently. I think I went to a decent amount of games back when you guys were in CDI. And um, I I would go to more, you know, because – you know, you always think, well, I could go next week or I can go here. I can go there. It's only a three hour drive. And I regret not going to more of those games because, um, you guys were always very good to me, you know, going, I forget what the name of the place was after the game. Uh, oh, the, was, the El Dorado. Yes, exactly. So, you know, yeah. you go there after the game, have a few beers. Everyone's always having fun, win or lose. And, and it was always a good time. And, and that would be, that's something I think about that I wish, I would have done more, but, you know, talking to you guys is really um, therapeutic for me. I I love doing it. And, and um, this, like I say, the podcast has kind of kept me sane during, uh, during the whole COVID. And to be honest with you, there are times where the show gets very frustrating, but when I hear someone like yourself say nice things to me about the show, um, it really, uh, it really keeps me going. And as far as the third thing, the thing on, the subway uh i appreciate the kind words i never really know how to answer that but uh you know i appreciate that i'm always i always get a little uh i'm, I'm very humbled when i hear things like that but i never really know what to say other than thank you oh you're welcome it's it's been an absolute pleasure and i'm looking at the time and i'm thinking oh my god i hope i didn't talk too much <laughs> <laughs> this, you know for for a middleweight who just had to fight when he pissed people off we got two hours and 20 minutes here that's not too yeah. bad wow yeah, well, I've never been short on the on words. So this has been unbelievable. It's uh, it's great that we're able finally to catch up, and this has been a real pleasure. Like I said in the beginning, the uh, the Springfield teams and the CDI teams really hold a special place in my heart. And uh, you're another guy that I'm able to check off the list of guys that I definitely want to talk to. And as a hockey fan and someone that appreciates the more physical side of the game, it was a pleasure to watch you play. And I appreciate the effort you gave every night. And I appreciate you coming on today. And I just want to say thanks again, Deuce. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. 
Thanks, Joe. All the best to you and your family as well. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. All right. Bye now. Thanks again to Wayne Doucette for uh, allowing me to bring his career, the story of his career to you people. Um, it's always fun talking to these guys from Capital District and Springfield, like I said. Uh, really, really, uh, I, I mean it. I mean it. That, that era, that era of the American Hockey League and the fact that uh, I was able to meet so many guys from the Springfield teams and the Capital District teams and get to know them and still maintain friendships with them to this day um, really, really means a lot to me. So uh, anytime I can uh, just talk about the good old days, with guys like Wayne Doucette, uh, means the world to me. So, uh, thanks again, Deuce for, uh, for letting me bring your story to the people. And, uh, as far as next week goes, not really sure. And, uh, I'm not jinxing it. So, uh, I'm going to leave you with that. And, uh, so I hope that you people enjoyed my chat with Wayne Doucette and everybody out there, please stay safe.